Tip Today with Fran Curry, IMRO Radio Award Gold Winner. In association with SlatterysGarage.ie. Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number and I won't uh, cost you anything to make a call. Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, we'll be speaking to Johnny Luby in just uh, a little while. Uh, concerns around the spate of assaults, intimidation and crime. Irish dancing teachers and judges accused of fixing competitions. We'll be speaking to an Irish dance uh, teacher about that. Codeine addiction. This is something that occurred on the programme during the week. We were chatting about this and we'll be speaking to a gentleman who's a regular contributor to the programme and that's Paul McCarthy and he has some interesting insight into our addiction uh, to codeine. Our Friday panel will unpack the big topics of the week. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text on WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at uh, the headlines, the Irish Daily Mail, the shocking texts that have rocked Irish dancing. Uh, Up to a dozen Irish dance teachers and judges colluded uh, to fix the All-Ireland Finals according to scores of uh, explosive text messages obtained by the Daily Mail. But I say, as I say, this story is right across uh, the newspapers today. The Irish Indo, they're leading with uh, the headline, Young Children Among Victims of Dance Fix Scandal. Also on the Indo today, doctors, dentists, uh, solicitors and accountants are among multiple uh, professions left out of the government's new energy subsidy scheme. Also, I was interested to read on one of the newspapers today as well that our churches uh, could well be very cold places to go this uh, winter and it's something we'll pick up on on the programme on Monday as well. The Irish Examiner, a widow joins a vigil for feud victim, the injured wife, a feud victim. Thomas Dooley left hospital last night to attend an emotional vigil for her husband outside their family home. Uh, also on the Examiner today, uh, US President Joe Biden is pardoning uh, thousands of Americans convicted of simple possession of cannabis under federal law as his administration takes a dramatic step towards decriminalising the drug. The Irish Times, a government considering eviction ban until the end of next March. The government considering that winter ban on evictions that could be in place until the end of March under plans being examined by the government to deal with the cost of living crisis. Also, the mood music certainly has changed because we're reading on the Times today that the Taoiseach Michal Martin has said that he accepts the UK's good faith in efforts to find a resolution to the Northern Ireland Protocol, signalling a growing optimism that an agreement can be reached between the EU and the UK on the issue. And of course, coverage right across the newspapers today of that great tragedy in Thailand, 38 uh, killed in an attack on a Thai child care centre and, uh, and the photographs are just absolutely harrowing uh, right across the newspapers uh, today. Anyway if you want to comment on any of that we'd love to hear from you. 083 311 Johnny Luby joins me. Good morning to you Johnny. Good morning Frank. How are you? Keith? You want to make, us all, make us all jealous Johnny. Where are you today? <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Uh, 
I'm in a place called uh, Alvor. Alvor in Portugal. Yeah. Uh, Portugal how the other Portugal. half lives, Johnny? Uh, well, I had to go and see it. Just see it. It's not in Ireland. It's really doom and gloom every day of the week, <laughs> isn't that it? Uh, look, there was a friend of mine. He's 60 years of age. And uh, with that commentary I'd done between Clare and Bell and Gary, he just said to the lads, and I know that fellow well. So they wouldn't believe it. So he rang and he said, I want you out here. <laughs> so out we went, Brian, and... Uh, Look, because uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Parents. I'm talking to you now, it's 25 degrees. Ah, uh, stop. I mean, yeah, stop. and the sun is, is uh, out for the day. It'll probably reach 30. Oh, Lord. But uh, it's a fact, look, it's one of the only places I go to. And of course, uh, the flights out are cheap. Mm. You know, yeah. they are cheap. Like, it's did cheap you fly, fly from Cork, Johnny? Did you? Yeah, it's a beautiful airport for yeah. to fly from. Yeah. You know, there's no. Uh, uh, queues of people and traffic and everything else you're just dropped at the door and you go in and five minutes later you're out at the other side and mm. ready to jet off ready to rock I can tell you isn't ready it? to yeah. rock is right yeah isn't it brilliant and too that's right yeah friend. and of course while, while there were, uh, I'm only here for a couple of days but uh, uh, last weekend of course on the GA scene what a weekend you know it mm. started with the uh, search the county board draw on Friday night which I didn't come out of but definitely people listen to Dip FM because I did say that my wife Catherine I better give her a full title uh, she was going to the Willoughby's in uh, Tullus Cathedral oh very good now the the place was absolutely rocking mm. seemingly down there, but she didn't know that I was below on the county bear at the county board draw. <laughs> but I did say, uh, my missus, I said, is going to the Willoughby's tonight. I said, and she's on the sticks, which is the crutches, and she needs to sit on the outside. Yeah. So she no sooner went into the cathedral, and this man waved her up, and he says, come over here, Mrs. Luby. And she <laughs> says, how do you know me? How do you know me? And your man said, uh, I helped him say this morning on the, on the radio that you're going to the Willoughby's and that you would have the crutches with you and that you need is an outside seat. <laughs> so she comes it off, and she doesn't even listen to you. Uh, I know. She listens to FM 24-7 except when I'm on. <laughs> I can understand so, that, Johnny. I can understand so, uh, Yeah, look, she had a great night there. Seemingly, they're fantastic and they're dead oh, there as well. I think he used to play music. He did. He did indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. And, uh, of course, the county bear was rocking as well, but with Timmy Fly couldn't even do the decent thing and pull us out for something. But, uh, like, then on Saturday, I went to see my beloved Golden Kilfeagle against Mullinahone in the county intermediate football semi-final. We got beaten by the Mullinahone lads. I just thought that we played too much possession football, but seemingly that's the way Gaelic football has gone. And as a result of that, we didn't get into the county final. The best of luck to Mullinahone and now played Ballina in the county final. We left there, friend, and we had a terrible quick drink below in Diamond's pub in Littleton. And uh, from there, then, to Dundrum to see uh, Kenorty Ross Moore playing under 15 hurling B West final against uh, Sean Tracy's. And look, my young or my grandson was captain of the team, and finally he played. Oh, he played fine, but uh, he gave a great bloody speech. And uh, after the game, thanked the officials, Philly Ryan, and all his entourage, and uh, that. But it uh, was his final few words of where he asked to remember uh, Dylan Quirk who died uh, during the year he said Katna Hello and Captain are the senior team but our captain on the fourth team at uh, the senior team and uh, said Dylan would have himself played uh, uh, with plenty of skill but determination and a good attitude to the game of hurling and so the way he spoke I was absolutely 
proud of him, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. And that, but then in Golden, we had the county semi finals of the senior football where we had Mile Rovers who led at half time against Spain Commercials who won it eventually, I think, 18 points to uh, 9. But the second semi final final last weekend, you weren't done, but I said to Alice and I, Got rid of Skenerinki. Uh, I'm now following uh, Upper Church Dunbay, and they're having a wonderful season. They're, they're now in the county final of the senior football against Clonmel Commercials, and they'll give them talks of it because they have the right attitude up there on the hills of uh, Upper Church Dunbay, and. and uh, they're in the final now, and they're also in a county semi-final tomorrow against or Sunday against uh, Kilroan McDonald's. While the other semi-final is possibly um, many people would think the county final as such, but they reckon without uh, Upper Trust Drum Band or Kilroan McDonald's, where you have um, Drum and Inch taking on the might of Kildangan, and that look both games uh, to me does uh, anything can happen in both games, mm. and look. If Upperchurch get, in, Upper get into the county final final, it's like Lockmore Casalini last year getting into the county final double holding in football. is absolutely tremendous for them. Brilliant. But, uh, I suppose, friend, just to finish on it, like we have uh, Pez and uh, Neds and Drumbain and we John Neds and Drumbain and we have uh, Canans across the road and all of our Ryan, then Mary the Peelers, which I wasn't in for a long, long, long time. And of course, that wonderful umpire that owns Jim DeMille's friend, he's one of the great umpires uh, uh, I've ever seen uh, because uh, when Clonolty was more or less, you were playing a county junior B final, the referee was Johnny Butler and uh, he was throwing the ball at the second. And, half, and here's uh, Jim of the Mills, and he's talking to me on the sideline <laughs> when he should have been when he should have been below beside the goal post. Oh, and this ball came in, and I shouted it. I said to Jim, "You can go over quick." I said, "And wave it wide." I said, "It's the easiest thing to do." But uh, look, Frank, yeah, Breda uh, Fitzgibbon. Uh, we were, we were up in uh, Ballyporine yesterday for an outside broadcast, and we were talking GAA, and we were talking about the local clubs. But Breda said anyway that I was to give out to you today and say all sorts of stuff to, to you about the the. Golden, um, the, the the loss there and stuff. She was crowing a little bit, I have to say now. Oh, yeah, but friend, look, in all honesty, with Golden Kilfeefel playing Skanerinki, who last year got into a Munster Junior A final, and this year they're in a county intermediate quarter final, they yeah. certainly have made a huge progress. But naturally, I mean, I'd be bad out of Golden if I, if I didn't say the best love look to Golden Kilfeefel in that county intermediate quarter final. And of course, Nockavilla Kickhams, who play uh, nice. Drum and Inch's second team. Uh, in a county uh, quarterfinal as well and intermediate. Maybe I'm shouting for up to West, but so be it. We need a, a, a couple of teams to come through in West Tipperary. And of course, Fran, your club and a county mm. rogue, they're in a, in a county relegation mm. battle final uh, against Temple Derry Kenyans. So as Corey Henley said to me in Tip Town, we always train for the relegation battle. He says, we don't train to win, to win at all at all. But look, tis not, they're all mouth-watering clashes over the weekend in the game of hurling and football and of course we can't forget the ladies of uh, Feddot who won a county uh, senior football ladies title against the famed Brian Burroughs I think they were beaten for the third time uh, third year running in a county final commiserations to them but look it's brilliant to see Feddot uh, winning the county ladies and of course Golden Kilpeetle themselves started up ladies football uh, last year and they won a county title as well uh, in New Inn on Sunday so uh, it's all systems going west to Prairie and maybe South yeah, Tipperary at the moment. T- tell me about, uh, Kyle Barrett brought a jersey over to Elvore there somewhere, did he? That's right, yeah. yeah tell Brandy me about that, 
yeah, Kyle's uh, 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 brought over a signed uh, Tipperary jersey, uh, and it's up in the Limerick pub now, owned by O'Grady's, but it was Patty's uh, here in Alvor, and it's framed. Uh, of course, they're into all these county jerseys, and for a good few years I'd missed uh, the Tipperary jersey there. And lo and behold, when we went in there the other night, we see the Tipperary jersey, and the first name I looked for signed was uh, Dylan Quirk, the Lord uh, of Mercy, Lord I mean, Quirk. and Franto signed down in the corner, Dylan Quirk, uh, and. Uh, all the other uh, 25 or 30 members of the extended panel with the coaches Colin Bonner and all of those so fair play to Colin Bonner for keeping the or, or to, for Carl Barrett for keeping the uh, the blue and gold of Tipperary uh, five serve on the front of it so it's an up to date jersey and that so lovely uh, touch it, yeah. it, it's grand, isn't it a lovely touch like yeah. you wouldn't see it inside you know absolutely but have you uh, been in Cahill's um, uh, coffee shop in Cashel yet I have yeah have you Cashel, yeah. got to have yeah because spot, I was yeah. looking for himself I always like to see the governor, you know, <laughs> uh, and that. But uh, I missed him that morning. But uh, it is a, a grand place Smash here on the main street. Absolutely. Cash, yeah. Somebody says here that uh, Johnny should apply for Portuguese citizenship. <laughs> at, at the state. Is there any hope of that, Johnny? <laughs> no, 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 friend. But uh, I, I'm lucky that uh, a friend, a great friend of mine, Lord Nelson, used to say, we know big people too. <laughs> so it, 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 it's grand to get. It, it, friend, it's lovely to get over. You know. Yeah. I mean, yesterday now we're in a small bit of a hurry, and I got uh, uh, a basket of chips with cheese melted on wow. it. And another fellow for throwing water at me here from the pool when I'm drinking <laughs> super buckets. What time? A quarter past nine in the morning. <laughs> but uh, look, friend, uh, and it's very hard to go after the cigarettes out here. I mean, like a five or a bloody packet. Is that what it is? My God. As it is, you know, we're at home of 1580, and you know, it is rip off the, the bloody smoking man the whole time. And of course, friend, we'd like to uh, 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 say that we're all very sorry to hear of the shop closing down in Clareham. You know, I suppose with electricity and I prices know, and yeah. insurance and the whole lot, I mean, and the employment they were giving there, I think and there a was... a fabulous it, shop as well. Really was, terrific and, shop, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and lovely uh, uh, people inside Staff, the counters, yeah. employees and all of that. They were top class, you know, and to see a lovely village like Clareham now with no shop, you know, it, 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 it it's most disappointing for ourselves when we we'll be going to Clamella across by Rose Green and well, down. You well, know, it's, it's an indication how difficult it is to maintain business, Johnny. You know, every everything is again, yeah, as they say. That's right, Jeff, and it's next me on impossible. You know, what they are really is a lot of the employers is that that's a pass. Uh, everything else but there is glorified tax collectors you know I mean like nobody seems to care about them and that there should be a huge incentive there for them uh, especially in these tough times I mean that everything has gone to the roof friend. you know yeah. the, it just gone to the roof and it's hard for them to survive well all the small uh, areas we we need a shop in a, in a village you know I mean you need it don't you yes and it's the lifeblood of uh, mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of all the villages, you know. And that when I see our own shop in Golden, there, uh, Anthony Casey, is the man that's running the show, you know, a fantastic shop. And God forbid that it would close down, or the yeah. post office, or the butchers. A listener says, trade. Johnny, 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 you forgot the Mulnahone ladies winning the intermediate, uh, the ladies in uh, their first year up. Ah, so yeah. there you go. <laughs> you forgot it again, you see. You see, I'm, I'm only doing it from memory of last weekend, and thanks to God, I still have a good memory. You know, there was a uh, friend, there, when, I, when I think of Mulnahone, you know, uh, I think I told the story a good few years ago, there was a, a woman that died there, I think this is Mul Hubbard was her name, you know, and I, I thought she was a fantastic woman when I see on the National sort of stair that uh, her, obit- her obituary photo was down, and she had about 16 of them, and some fellow rang me from Mulnahone looking for greyhound pups, and I just said to him in talk, and I said, and Mrs. Mul Holland, and I said, she died, uh, 
I said, you must have been a wonderful woman, Johnny. He said, she was a proper bee if ever there was one. He said, I can tell you about her now. He said, uh, during the parties, he said, when the uh, farmers had no uh, tractors or anything else, all that this farmer had, her husband uh, had was a, a, an S and plough. And he was ploughing anyway. He looked under his pea cap and he said, God, above tonight, he said, she's coming again. She was coming with a flask of tea and she sat down on a stone and she get poured out the tea and she started giving out to John. And the next thing was, yes, started up and listening to her. He lifted his back legs, kicked her in the head and knocked her out stone dead. And that night there was a big uh, wake in Mullinahorn where every man, woman and child went to the uh, funeral and uh, they all sympathised with him and they said she was a great woman, that she was in the IRA, the ICMSA, the GA, the A, the NFA, the ICMSA, the whole lot and he just nodded his head and agreed with them all. And this fella came up and he asked him, is there any chance he said you'd sell the F? <laughs> 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 Promising a visit to Mullinahone now, Johnny, as long as we've been talking, so you have to make your way there. I did find I, yeah, I, I did got down there. It was the very first pub I visited during or after lockdown. I was mm. going to say during lockdown. Uh definitely didn't open during lockdown. But after lockdown we headed for Mullinahone and back to the Tatch and Cooney and uh, wonderful neck of the woods down there. But uh, I suppose friend, uh, when I see yesterday Jesus friend, did you ever hear of a thing called Piss Miles? Well we used to call them when we were young Piss Miles. Piss Miles. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. What, what are they again? Are they um um, I tell you what, I don't know what they are, but some, they would give you some sting for the bloody size of them. And as I'm talking to you now, they're coming up along my toes here. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Friend, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, I was just looking at the uh, television last night where some young men switched over in the uh, pub. And uh, they said that, uh, that Mick Wallace and Claire Daly yes. had voted against the Ukraine or against Russia, invading the Ukraine. Yes, they, well, they refused to vote, I think. Uh, my understanding is they refused to vote against it, the Russian invasion. Was that it? Something like that. That's yeah. it, yeah. yeah. But isn't that an absolute scandal, friend? Right. I personally think it's an absolute scandal. I know, because they're not representing the people. I mean, I give Mick Wallace a vote. Yeah. So he's not representing me. I mean, I guess his own, uh, his own way of going. Mm. But Mick Wallace and Claire Daly, they seem to be anti-everything, you know. But, I mean, like, I did grab the headlines on the on the, uh, uh, on the the television. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they're very strong in their beliefs, and they, you know, I mean, that's that's oh, democracy for you. They can stand up yeah, and say... Yeah, yeah. no fellas, I haven't, I haven't come in just t- time for... But any of well, why did you vote for him in the first place, then? How much should I give him number eight? <laughs> <laughs> the way you were talking, I thought you'd give him a number one or something. <laughs> no, 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 So he won't be even no, getting your number eight next time round, is that it? No, 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 no. <laughs> I see, friend, where the iodine tablets, they're making their way back again. Are they? Well, they'd want yeah, to, yeah. I'd say, with the way things are going. Yeah, Yeah, they're making their way back again. Now, the last time we had him, we had him for three or four years. <laughs> and didn't I take him out of the thing and put him into the uh, uh, the washing machine tablets? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what happened with that? I don't know. My missus didn't even notice anyway. She hung the clothes out uh, out to dry and with the iodine tablets and a couple of uh, them uh, washing up powder tablets and that thing. But uh, look, it's going to come back again. Yeah. And uh, I suppose, friend, the best of luck to Tony Lowry, who retires next... Uh, uh, very best of luck to him, yeah. Yeah, you have to get in there. And, 
and uh, what else have we the uh, oh yeah my man and uh, old friend of hospice morning I said it to Alison uh, sincere thanks to you we raised uh, 1901 euro ah brilliant in the space brilliant. of two hours brought it down to the girl in the hospice centre in Clanmill and lo and behold uh, I'd say two days later the receipt arrived on uh, thanking uh, the people of Golden Kilfiegel and surrounding areas ah, for their uh, uh, tremendous contribution which was absolutely fantastic well, well uh, done indeed you're very impressed well, with our best of tip awards I know Johnny that's going extremely well at the moment people can vote for the shortlist now at this point so it's going great did anyone vote for me no No, nobody voted for you Johnny I thought you might get in there somewhere but no it didn't happen <laughs> and, uh, somebody's yeah, saying you must have free travel all over the world yeah well of course when you come to, when you come to 68 years of age they're meant to get you out of Ireland <laughs> that's in my book that's how Mick Wallace and Claire Daly got to Europe they want to get him out of the bloody doll above <laughs> but anyway that's my opinion uh, Fran I want to say hello to a guy called uh, Chris Tilly say hello to Chris hello Chris how was Chris tell me about uh, Chris, Chris uh, well Chris worked for Mammy the Queen Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's a, a top-class uh, uh, man. Uh, naturally, when he when he was uh, employed... Uh, well, this is Queen. one of your posh friends you were telling me oh, about. Oh, this is yes. one of my yeah, friends. Yeah, we yeah. know big people too. And a guy called Trevor, he was actually cooking for us last night. And uh, uh, I wanted to give him a hand. Okay. And he had heard about my escapades and all that thing with the deep fat fryer. He wouldn't let me go near go near the thing last night, but with a lo- he summed it up a lovely meal, friend. And uh, it was uh, a beef stew or something, but uh, he mixed it up with a bottle, a half bottle of port and a half bottle of wine. Wow, that's my kind of a cook. Yeah, yeah friend, we were all scuttled. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Any bit of a, dr- a drink, yeah. And I walked into the bloody... Uh, uh, I, I only fell into the bed after it. But, uh, yeah, and Claire, of course, in the Leinster house, she has the, the uh, black and white uh, flag flying for famed Killer One McDonald's this week uh, uh, when they play Upper Church from Bayern. So, friend, Ireland is... Very good, because somebody was on to us to say, what about Killer One under 13, who won the A and D yeah, county final last friend. Sunday as well? Uh, look, I said it last weekend, a marvellous achievement for a small parish like Killer One McDonald's to have the good of 40 players under 13 uh, getting into a county final at that stage which it was last Friday and mm. lo and behold they came out and won both finals and of course then friend the game of the year in under 17 hurling which is really minor hurling Golden Kilfield were beaten last uh, Saturday or Sunday evening by uh, Mike Erke Burris who are now in the final against Holy Cross who defeated Nene Rogue it promises to be a wonderful final friend and if you ask me I don't think your former parish is going to win that particular game I think so. Holy Cross, Barrykale are exceptional. Uh, friend, you'll have to do, do me one favour before one. I get back. You'll have to yeah. call in to say thanks to Tony and Maeve Lowry and that someday during the week because uh, it's a big uh, uh, undertaking for them to be uh, leaving the establishment, Lowry's in Tipperary Town. I mean, they have been wonderful ambassadors for everybody, uh, all sports people of all kind, farmers, you name it, everybody who used to win to uh, Tony's uh, there maybe yeah. once a month. Or Great supporters of live music. Music as well, Johnny, over the years, you know, so it was great. That's right, John. Yeah, yeah friend, everything I, and anything, sir. I must let you go, Johnny, and uh, enjoy the delights of Alvor for the next uh, yeah, one. super back there quick, I'm running dry. <laughs> Good luck, Johnny. Good luck. <laughs> bye bye. Right, right. Bye bye. That's a great Johnny Luby out in Alvor by special request. And uh, I passed the Fourpenny Road this morning. It was looking kind of damp. So, um, yeah, he's doing well to be out there in, what did he say? 25 degrees or something like that. 1800 938 007. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Patrick Quirk is looking to follow his upcoming Supreme Court appeal from Port Leash prison where he's currently serving a life sentence for murder. Now, you probably don't need to be reminded that the 52-year-old uh, Tipperary farmer from Brenchamore uh, murdered a local DJ, Bobby Ryan, known as uh, Mr Moonlight. Our courts correspondent, Frank Graney, joins me now. Frank, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. Uh, thanks for your time this morning, Frank. Uh, can you just give us the story around this? Well, as we all know at this point now, um, Patrick Quirk was unsuccessful last year when he tried to overturn his conviction on appeal. It was a long, very complex appeal. 52 grounds of appeal were raised, and in the end, they were all roundly rejected by the Courts of Appeal. Now, he did seek permission from the Supreme Court to take a further appeal there. There isn't an automatic right to be heard before the Supreme Court. There used to be, but there isn't anymore. I suppose the court has become busier over the years and there isn't that automatic right. So he essentially had to prove that his case raised a matter of general public importance that required their attention or that it was necessary in the interest of justice. He was granted permission. Um, a date has been set down for the 25th of October. Uh, one day hearing, it will focus exclusively on just two very specific areas. And basically what happened yesterday was there was um, a case management hearing it was done remotely, so his lawyers, the judges, all dialed in. Um, other interested parties, including myself and other members of the media, were obviously able to dial in too. And essentially, what happened was, you know, there was a certain element of, um, of like, you know, routine matters that needed to be the court needed to be updated on. But also, we had a request from his barrister, Bernard Condon, who asked the court if it would be possible if a link could be established to allow Patrick Quark tune in to proceedings on the 25th of October from Portleash Prison. Now, that facility was made available to him for his appeal before the Court of Appeal last year. Ordinarily, you know, somebody in custody who takes an appeal against a criminal conviction or a sentence handed down, you know, is allowed to sit in court in, in person. But because of the pandemic, the situation of the pandemic last year, they decided... Um, a link, a video link was more appropriate. So he was able to follow proceedings. There was video and audio patched into Portleash Prison for him. It's not exactly the same before the Supreme Court. Mm. You know, it's actually quite unusual that you would have somebody who's in custody um, appearing before the Supreme Court in such a manner. And Ms. Justice Elizabeth Dunn, when you know she was answering the request yesterday, she said they normally don't have people in court for their appeals. And I guess that's because it's a very different type of appeal when you think about it. You know, different in comparison to the ones that are heard before the Court of Appeal, for example. Um, like these will deal with general public issues. They're legal issues trashed out. And they're not, I mean, they are specifically in this case about Patrick Quirk, but there are wider issues at play. And that's the only reason the Court would have agreed to hear them in the first instance, because if he is successful, you know, the outcome will affect other cases and mm. how they are run, other investigations and how they are run. And so it would set precedent in some way, Frank, would it? Precisely, Frank, yeah. yes, exactly. And and that's the threshold, you know, when a court decides, when the Supreme Court decides to hear a case like this, it's for the wider good. But obviously, I mean, it should be noted um, that if the case is successful, it will have 
a wider effect, but it will also have a specific effect potentially for Patrick Quirk. And that's why, and he was very active during the trial, scribbling notes every day, having mm. very regular consultations with his lawyers. He was a very active participant in proceedings. Um, same can be said for the Court of Appeal. So he didn't get an answer yesterday. Um, we don't know if that link will be provided. The court did say they would consider it and they'd see what they could do. But the hearing itself is going to be held in person. So the lawyers will be there making their submissions uh, in person. And I suppose time will tell whether or not Patrick Quirk will be able to tune in from prison. It'll be very interesting indeed. Frank, thank you so much for your time this morning. We always appreciate it. Thank you. Good morning to you, Frank. That's uh, Frank Graney there, Court's uh, correspondent. 1800 938 007. Now, a meeting took place in Monroe last night to address the concerns around the spate of assaults, intimidation and crime in the Rathronan Lisrona area. And joining me now to tell us more about this is independent uh, TD Matty McGraw, who attended that meeting last night. Matty, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. And thanks uh, for making time for us this morning, Matty. Can you tell us about the meeting last night? In the first instance, Frank, and friend, I'd like to compliment the organisers, you know, Powers from the Sorona yeah. uh, and that area, community left group. And it was chaired by James O'Neill, who was formerly of Mountain Interior, now very involved in the rollout of, of property uh, marking. And um, Superintendent Willie Lahey attended as it started in Keanu Regan of Clonmel's Station. Look, it was quite an, an animated meeting. Feelings are high. A full complex in, 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 in Monroe, which is huge, and upstairs as well, on the, on, on, on the balcony. And, you know, lots of, I suppose, <laughs> severe anxiety, bordering on anger, and just frustration. And to try and motivate that down Harvard that and get it into I suppose the Gaddy wanted anyway get it into into a support situation for the Gaddy corner. But the problem many is because just were very unhappy with the lack of response to calls when the report issues, when they needed help, like different people, one woman sent you brought five times in in a week, you know, had just no follow up. In a week, Matt? Yes. Oh, house was restoring and neighbours overheard them coming out one night from it and you know, the windows were open to the hot, hot summer and they'd come back tomorrow night for other items that they'd seen and they'd cleaned out all the tools, about 2,500 pounds worth of tools about the damage to the property. So, look, he wanted to meet those people afterwards and did. And hopefully, you know, he wanted to get to the bottom of how come there was no, you know, proper follow-up. Many, many people that are just going on for years, intimidated on their farms, intimidated on their properties, sometimes threatened... But the word went out definitely from all, me and from everybody else to kind of keep calm, don't engage with these people, just uh, trying, and we try and get more Gardaí. We're very, very short on Gardaí in Clonmel District. I raised that the doll several times. It's got, it's the worst ever it was actually, the Calicum Show, and it is here. But um, that trying, you know, people want to know how could you support the Gardaí then as well. To be fair, there was not a good will there. Some that was over the top, I suppose you want to, but that happens in public meetings always. But you mean some people were very, very angry, uh, audibly angry, were they? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And, and yeah. there was other, there was some media there. I'm sure they covered. There was some um, by a journal I know were there mm. because it's primarily an issue. Uh, the two pound issue here is there's a huge problem in the centre of town. And you might allow me in a minute to, to talk about the business sure. closures, but uh, driving people, ordinary people, out of the town, then. Evening and dusk and night time, this is happening out in the hinterlands of Clonmelon. And there was a big uh, turnout there, quite a turnout there from West Waterford, from Russell Town, that area of Clonmelon. Mm. 
And they have a particular problem because they have this problem every night. But their gadi must come from Nungavan, which is 24, 5, 6 miles away. And, you know, it's totally... Yeah. It's just just because they're slightly over the border, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was changed some yeah. years ago. Tom Reddy was covering how it was still Manhattan, but they were the county boundaries, which was ridiculous at the time. I opposed it. And look, they're past the town, Melchior, all up, you know, and there's other parts of Tranmel then on Brian Manella and up Power of the Pot, which are under Tramor, mm-hmm. which is totally uh, ridiculous. But look, um, they did a good job in the meeting. Now, they have a text alert, they have, problem, have had problems with that, you know, and they, they did a lot of work through the text alert, um, the, 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 the committee there in the Paris on Lisbona, and some years ago, but there's a bit of disappointment. I don't know whether the guys trying to take it over, and they weren't allowed the superintendent. Superintendent because of GDPR, and it's kind of a no man's land at the moment. But that system is a great system. But we've been calling, I've been calling for for since inception now to start off in Monaghan to get the government to pay for it because every time it takes that goes out, and there are 500 members. If right. it takes that, which is so, huge, so it's costly. It, yeah, it's costly to yeah. the community and famous our own. It costs money, and and uh, you know sometimes yeah. maybe takes don't go for that reason because you know they, they don't come cheap. As you know, so of course, look, yeah. We what we found remarkable uh, was that not many people wanted to talk to us about this, Matty, because they felt so intimidated. Yes, it's a sad state of affairs in 2022 in our country that has come to this. I mean, that is the problem. They're afraid to talk. They're afraid that they identified in their cars going. But I suppose in Kayla, there's 20 numbers, and people did get the courage, a male and female, to turn up. You and old last night there. Uh, First of all, in sympathy and outright and, and total sympathy for the serious assault that happened, and we can't comment on that because of the investigation. But only to wish that young man the very, very best, and any kind of assault like that is is, is very serious. But but it, it had, all the people had relayed and recounted incidents that they had of people not leaving the front of the house, not leaving the property, so just didn't want to leave, wouldn't go. Probably knowing that it takes again, be a while to come. Now, Gadda Claire must be again a dear McCondon of 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 um, community guys who I deal with a lot with there for years. Excellent job, and they got high to praise. They're doing their best. They just simply haven't enough uh, resources and enough members. There was a question for them emergency response unit, and they're based in Clare, but yeah. they cover five counties. As I found out that they should be saturated in the area for some time and deal with this. Rather than having yeah, but of course you brought this up in the doll yourself, and it's not just that area. Sadly, this is happening like widespread, isn't it? Yes, but no, no. But I've seen in the doll from there fifteen years and meeting other colleagues. We've lost towns like Drogheda. We've lost towns like Mungia, sorry, Longford, yes. and other areas. Gangs have taken over, mm. and it's too late. I'm trying to avert, you know, sitting time save nine, not allow this to happen. And it's on the border of happening. Well, I have people contact me that they won't go into a corner street in Clonmel to go shopping. Young people in their 50s, like uh, husbands and other wives go in their partners because for fear of, look, there's open drug dealing, there's, there's, there's open drug dealing. Shopkeepers looking out at this. They're t- telling me every second day about it. They have no customers coming in. They're closing as a result, many of them. Because that's, that's and is this during the day as well, Matty? Broad daylight is intimidating. Open drug uh, dealing in Clonmel. Yeah. My shopkeeper contacted my, uh, my, uh, one of my staff yesterday and said, look, every person that comes into our shop, and it's a busy shop, that, it, that the people are complaining about being intimidated down the town by uh, this and by people begging and whatever else, and rows and everything else. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's becoming a no-go area, and it's 
terribly damaging to the image of the town, to the good people of the town, but also to the business people mm. of the town. And but to future decide, investment in the, in the middle of the town as well, I presume. Oh, of course, for sure. Every building, like I said, in the audience, when I raised about businesses, closing small businesses, who got little support in the budget, and we see that now this morning in our headlines, there are many, uh, you know, groups and business groups that can't apply for this, uh, this, this support with energy costs. And if one closes, they don't have to replace it and get it started. And you see, and I'd have to pay tribute to the O'Brien family, uh, O'Connor Street, Mary and her family, mm. 62 years Absolutely. Uh, of yeah. dedicated service to the public, a real country, <laughs> a bastion of country life in the town. And, you know, it's cold enough at the time. And uh, so she's so upset over it and the people are so upset over it. And, you know, it's just uh, unfortunate. It's a, it's a sad situation. But football has... Uh, you know, I've been dealing with the, the, with the lads there for a long time. I walked down the street, they'd be in or out or whatever, and they see all this going on. I have been asking and asking and asking to just try and have a lot of these. Unfortunately, people, many of them, but I have them, you know, they, I don't know. There's many don't tennis in the centre of the town as well, a number of, of, of green dispensers, and they're left around, and there's needles. I regularly come across them, so do many others, you know, all kinds of places on the, on the main street. Right beside my office, the cab has. I was going to say that your office is just off, off the Irish town there, Matty. So, do you see this yourself all yes, of the time? Yes, 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 I do. I see it's across the road. I see the high wall, long special, special uh, horn blows, hand comes up, stuff goes in. It's look, look. They're coming on the buses. We ask any bus driver, Italian, they're going to Dublin, different places. Then we go on and coming back with their wares, and. Uh, Unfortunately, it's a huge, it's bordering epidemic, the, the, the drug situation. And it's not only happening on the street, it's happening in, in, in some other establishments and, and people with suits and business people. Everyone, across all the rest of society, don't cut ourselves. We know that. But and what, what, what are the guardies saying to you as a public representative about this, Matty? I mean, what you're describing sounds so scary, you know, what... Well, all summer I've gotten calls, not all summer, but several nights in the summer, uh, lovely weather, you know, households contact me, but a rumpus next door, all night parties or whatever, and the guardie come a number of times, but they can't live there, obviously. And then the guardie tell them, look, get onto your public reps. We just don't have the manpower. Like, take that Saturday night, as that incident happened, and the two guardie in the car were out in Munnahone, and there was trains. Station. One has to stay in a station always, a 24 hour station. And, you know, unfortunately, people know this as well. And, you know what I mean? So, like, uh, some years ago, we didn't have the cars. And I remember detectives telling me to hire care. And he might say, hey, he followed this group and he got in the past and no signs, no lights, no radio above all. And he stood on the road, they drove past him, looking, didn't knock him down. That was only a hired in care from. Martins at the time because they had no smart cars were. But now they have a good deal of behavior, but we haven't the manpower and the personnel. Mm-hmm. And what's worse, what I discovered uh, this year is in for six month period seventy five resignations from a Gabba Street Corner nationally. Mm-hmm. And um we're not now able to there were eight hundred committed for last year didn't materialise. And now we find it's less than 20. Well, it's in become before. a very dangerous job, Matty, and you, yes, you, right. you spoke about that yourself in the Dáil as well. I mean, yes. Gardaí are in danger themselves. This is what I'm coming to, and I want to go right to the Commissioner. I put this to the Commissioner in relation to Clan Mill and Carrick and Sewer um, two, three years ago, Charles says, JBC meeting, that you're, he was putting, I'm holding him to account for putting Garda members 
at risk sending them out of the situation on their own, no backup, and male and female. And he dismissed me. I wasn't going to listen to that. And, and I firmly believed that at the time, still believe it, and it's worse now. Mm. I see people ringing me, they were ringing, they're seeing people burying, you know what, in the ground and hiding them. He looked at them and he ringing the gas umpteen times and no response. They just had to wait around to come out. So then there was issues about traffic core. A big breed my body and I have is those traffic then. They are totally useless to the community. They're money making and they can't respond to you could go through them. They might get you for speeding, but you mightn't have tax right, insurance, well they, NCT. Uh, sure, but they tell you they're saving lives because of speed and one thing. Matty, I must leave it there, but thank you so much for coming on. We will be going back to this next week, Matty, and thanks so much for your time this morning. Well, just thank you. the people for coming out there. Yeah. It's just numbers to try and make that community safer and better. All right, thanks, Matty, and uh, good morning to you. We'll take a break. Back with more. The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie The 102nd annual uh, Sean Tracy commemoration takes place this Sunday in Kilfeekle, assembling at half past two. And for more on this, um, Dean McGrath joins me. Dean, of course, is Sinn Féin local activist. Dean, good morning to you. Morning, friend. Good morning to your listeners. How are you doing? I'm doing very well indeed. Tell me what's going to happen on Sunday, Dean. Uh, I suppose, firstly, could I just say about, I just listened to Matty there, and obviously myself and Deputy Brown were out in the meeting in Monroe as well. And just to reiterate what the Superintendent Willie Lee, he did say, is for the community to work in partnership with Angara Siakana to report these incidents of intimidation and that ultimately the Gardaí have to know about these incidents and they will respond um, to any incidents that are highlighted. And it's just to put it in that bit of context that it's about the community working in partnership with the Gardaí. Um, okay, so Kilfeek, mm-hmm. um we're going to have the 102nd, as you said, Sean Tracy uh, commemoration. Yes. I suppose for the Tipperary Republican Commemoration Committee um, holds a series of events um, uh, each year to commemorate our patriot dead and people who um, who died during the War of Independence, during the war, uh, during the Civil War, and we are holding our annual commemoration in Kilfeekle Graveyard at two thirty p.m. this Sunday, the ninth. Uh, Daniel Jack is going to be the speaker. Um, he's a historian who has written a, a book about two of Tipperary's Big Four, that being Seamus Robinson of the 30th grade mm-hmm. and also on Sean Tracy, uh, for Sean Tracy. Um, so basically, we're going to have a full commemoration, um, a piper, um, an address that will be chaired by Councillor Tony Black from Tiptown. As I said, the main oration will be given by Daniel Jack. And we're inviting as many people as possible. Um, if you have an interest in the history, if you want to come along and ask us questions, just I suppose about, about Sean Tracy, about his life, about what he gave up his life for in that period in Irish history, please come along. We'd be absolutely delighted to have you. Um, Tracy, of course, as you say, one of the big four. I mean, one of the most important figures, I suppose, of that time and indeed helped to ignite, I suppose, the conflict that became uh, the Irish War of Independence uh, as well, Dean. I mean, we can't uh, overstate, I suppose, his roles. A massive, significant figure in the revolutionary history of our country. Um, You have to remember uh, Sean Tracy as as a person, I suppose. He was born in 1895 in in Salahid. He joined the IRB in the Irish Republican Brotherhood, the revolutionary organisation that later became the Irish Republican Army, um, in 1912. So he would have been 16, 17 joining that. Um, He 
he fought, I suppose, in... Like, he had massive revolutionary, kind of, I suppose. He, he read up on it. He... Mm. He taught about Irish history. He read of the likes of Tone and Emmett and re- rebellions that have gone before. And he was picked up in after the 1916 Rising and gave, you know, a kind of a... He gave a tour of Ireland's jails after being captured by the British. And really what Tracy was adamant about was that conflict and Irish independence and self-determination had to be... Um, had came before everything else. His... It's funny when you think that four rural lads around Salahed. So, for anyone that doesn't know, the big four in Tipperary were Dan Breen, Sean Tracy, Seamus Robinson, and the boy soldier, Sean Hogan. Now, the funny thing about that is that these are four really regular guys at the time, and they did something absolutely extra. They were ordinary fellas at uh, that time, which makes it all the more remarkable, I suppose. The the manner of his death on Talbot Street, of course. so so evocative as well of of the time, I suppose. Yeah. Hugely, hugely so. And I like like look, Salah had obviously ignited the 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 war of independence. South Tipperary was placed under martial law, and the four the big four had to go on their own. Mm. One of the most successful ambushes during that time, or one of the most daring, and it could only have been done by Tipperary men with the help of the Calvary Brigade, was mm. the rescue of Sean Hogan Not long, from yeah. Not long, yeah. which Sean Tracy led and was shot. Two times, yeah. Dan Breen and Seamus Robinson had already left because there was counterintelligence. And Tracy said, right, we're going to go storm a train with four British soldiers guarding Sean Hogan, and they rescued him. It was a major coup uh, for the IRA at the time. Of course, uh, Sean Tracy then went on to, uh, while being on the run, became a member of Michael Collins' squad that was responsible for, I suppose, counterintelligence operations against the British Army in Dublin. And in what happened on Talbot Street, I suppose, was that he went down and he went down fighting. He went mm. down doing what he, he wanted to do. Um and again for his funeral for local connection from Jerome Davin from Tullamain was a member of the first battalion. Uh, Tullamain Rose Green actually organized the funeral. And thousands of people. Yeah, it was huge, deal, wasn't it? Massive, yeah, huge crowd. Massive, yeah. and and such was a te- like this guy was. Look, he was a young. He was a young guy, but Sean Tracy had a revolutionary element. He wanted uh, Irish determin- self determination, mm. and uh, he, I suppose more interesting would be his personal side, his relationship with his mother. And mm. um, you know, like we often don't see that behind the, these figures. But if you want to learn a little bit more about Sean Tracy, the man, the person, and the revolutionary, we'd certainly invite you to come to Kilfeekle at, at half two. We'd be more than happy to see you. Very, very, very good indeed. I, I only have a few seconds uh, left. Uh, could I take you back to what you began with, which is? Uh, you know, that meeting last night. Isn't it very disheartening, Dean, to see that people are afraid in their own homes? It certainly is. And look, that it's absolutely unacceptable. And I, that, hence why people would not want to report to Gary for yeah. fear of repercussions. Unfortunately... People, people wouldn't way, even talk to us largely about this uh, uh, for the same reason, Dean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I mean this in the most sensitive way. Nothing will change unless these are highlighted to Gardaí en masse because that was what the super was saying. If we don't know about some of the stuff and I think that people being afraid in their own homes mm. is, a, is a real testament to the issue that we have but also the need to address this issue promptly, smartly and with the right resources and certainly, of course, mm. what we'd be calling for is a joined up approach between all public representatives, the community and the Gardaí 
in order to address these issues that so many rural people in that area are facing. And it was heartbreaking to hear some of the stories. And, and, and John Tracy's vision for Ireland certainly would not have included elderly people afraid in their homes. No. You know? No, no, he, no, it, it absolutely wouldn't. Yeah. It, it would have been under the 1916 proclamation, you know, yeah. uh, a republic, an Irish republic for the people of Ireland, you know, and we would like everybody to feel safe in their homes. Granted that there's issues, community policing is the lifeblood of this of, of our communities, and from what the superintendent said last night, that he's more than willing to address it. Okay. And I'd really encourage people to engage with the Gardaí in the matter. Fair play. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, and best luck to you no on problem. Sunday. That's half yeah, past two uh, in Kilfiekel on Sunday. That, that's it, and we're going back to the Bridge Bar in Golden. Um, I'm sure Johnny Luby, uh, you must be paying for Johnny Luby's trips at this stage, I swear to God. God almighty, he's the most well-traveled oh, man in listen, Ireland. Don't get me started. Look after yourself, Dean. Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. That's uh, Dean McGrath speaking to us this morning. News and information is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111. Welcome back to Tip Today. Now, lots coming in on the whole business of antisocial behaviour and people living in fear and all of that. Let me just bring you... Uh, one or two. Let me bring you this one anyway. Fran, I attended the meeting in Monroe last night. Uh, there was a lot of frustration in the room. I live in the area that Matty mentioned, Russellstown. We're situated just outside of Clonmel on the Dungarvan side, but we have to contact Dungarvan Garda Station to report suspicious activities despite being only just outside of the town. We have ongoing issues nightly in our area, including trespassing with dogs on land, which have livestock, leaving gates open, um, uh, running livestock, dog attacks on sheep and lambs, etc. We have neighbours frequently verbally abused, and we are phoning in these activities. We log car registrations, etc., but nothing ever seems to work and the same crew are back the night after. It is so frustrating. And that comes in from um, a listener describing themselves as a Russellstown uh, resident. Uh, 1800 938 007. Somebody else mentioning a, a housing estate in, in Cashel. It says there's five active uh, drug dealers there, drug dealing uh, completely out of control. And again, this is something that's been reported but uh, there doesn't seem to be much done where that is concerned either. So that's 0833113311. We will go back to that, we promise. Irish dancing judges accused of fixing competitions have been allowed to continue overseeing major competitions. On Commission Larinka Gaelica, the prestigious global body that governs Irish dance, has this week been rocked by what is believed to be its largest ever alleged cheating scandal. Now it's been... It's seen some of the most successful and well-regarded Irish dance teachers in schools accused of fixing competitions for their own students. Well, Eileen O'Reilly is an Irish dance teacher based in Kilbehenny, and she joins me now. Eileen, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Fran. Thanks for having me. And thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today, Eileen. You're originally from the States, is that right, Eileen? Yes, I am. I'm originally from Connecticut on the East Coast. Right, and that's where you would have trained in, in Irish dance? In Connecticut and Massachusetts. Right. In Boston. Uh, how did you end up here here in Ireland teaching? I married an Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a good move, Eileen. Yeah. Yes. And and so you're back here teaching then. For for how long have you been teaching dance here? I have been teaching here for, I think it's close to thir- thir- 13 years, 
years, maybe for, for close to fourteen. Right. So, years. It's, um, yeah. So it's a quite quite a lot of time. Um, these allegations, and uh, you know, I can't believe how this has taken over the media, Eileen. But uh, are you shocked, surprised, any of the above, where this is concerned? I suppose I'm shocked at the public attention that Iron Commission has received. It's not none of it's particularly surprising. I think now that it's out in the open, it makes sense that there is considerable public discourse. And would you have been aware that this sort of thing has been going on, or at the very least been been spoken of over the years? I think all of us have been aware that this has been going on to some degree. Um, you know, we would have been suspicious of favoritism, certainly, you know, growing up as dancers, um, and there were teachers suspended a few years ago in North America over a cheating scandal. Um, Uncon- Commission had suspended them from teaching and adjudicating. So we, we knew this was going on. There was evidence. That particular case, I don't think, made any or got any publicity. Um, but yet yeah, we, we would have been aware of it. I think we're all aware of it. Um, I'm not sure how many Irish people realise how huge Irish dance is in North America. I mean, it really, really is big business, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Um, the East Coast would have quite a few competitive schools. When I was growing up, it would have, um, but that's expanded. I think there are highly competitive schools now in the Midwest and um, towards, and of course, West and the West Coast. Can you compare both jurisdictions for me uh, in terms of how things work and how it's run and the like? In terms of North America versus Ireland? Versus Ireland, yes. Um, Well, CLRG basically is the the governing body for North America and Ireland. and And it has members scattered worldwide. Um. So North America is accountable to CLRG. Um, there's the Irish Dance Association of North America that is then the, the, the next body governing Irish dancing under CLRG. Uh, and then there's also regional bodies governing Irish dancing. It's, it's similar to what you have here with, you, you know, the... Um, the Munster Council or the Munster Region, yes, yes. Munster, you know. But but the the Commission on Commission, um, they they still make all of the rules for for dancing right right around the world. In fact, yeah, we yeah we're ultimately anyone who belongs to on Commission then is is ultimately accountable to on Commission. Um, how much damage do you think has this publicity done to Irish dance for the future? It's hard to say. I would say I'm I'm living in an area where I've had dancers coming in who you know they're it's a rural area and people maybe not as much interested in the competitive side of Irish dancing. Mm. Um, so I would be concerned though for those few that are you know into competition. This might be a healthy thing for their child that they would be turned off to the idea of competition. Um, so I do think it's going to impact on parents who are, say, on certainly on the fence about maybe doing Irish, having their child enroll in Irish dancing, and then also having their child participate in competition. 
Do you think that major competitions, I know there's some major ones coming up, I think the Leinsters might be coming up soon, um, do you think that they should be suspended for the moment until this is sorted out in some way? I know that a retired judge has been appointed by an commission to look into this in some way. Do you think that major competitions should be suspended in the meantime, I suppose, Eileen? I would be reluctant to say that I, as a teacher, you know, having students prepare for major competition, you know, are preparing for the Munsters now, mm. I wouldn't be that inclined to want those competitions suspended. What I would hope for is swift action regarding anyone who has, you know, um, been accused or you know, if there is evidence that we we have to take you know quick action, it's it's a very difficult situation. If there are adjudicators who are you know assigned to these particular competitions and they're under investigation, then mm. to me it makes sense that they would be suspended from adjudicating. And then the next issue is finding adjudicators to replace them at those competitions. Um, I'm not sure if you got a chance to see the, the newspapers today, but some of the WhatsApp messages have been uh, published um, on several newspapers today, and some of them are quite shocking in that there's a... I suppose there's a, it's implied that there are sexual favours at, uh, at work here as well as everything else, but it certainly seems all very cosy between people. I mean, would, mm-hmm. does, that, does that shock you, that aspect of it? That level of coziness, we'll say, would be fairly shocking. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think really, I haven't seen the text now, um, but if, you know, if it's that bad, it's really disgusting, to be honest. Um, also coming up, and again for people outside of uh, Irish dance, the, the, you know, people are quite shocked to realise the kind of investment that parents make on behalf of their children with this, with you know the cost of the costume, the the wigs, the 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 tanning, all all that's associated with Irish dance. Uh, and now, um, Eileen, what what do you make of that? Well. I suppose my approach has been as a teacher to try and make things as affordable as possible for my dance parents. I do think that when we go the route of having to have expensive dresses and we, we place so much emphasis on the look, we're taking away from the art form to a degree. Um, or we're, we're emphasizing the wrong part of the art form, let's say. Um, I would always say, you know, it's important to present yourself well on stage, to look well. Um, But I don't think people should have to, you know, remortgage their houses in order to have their children do Irish step dancing. It's certainly not the mentality that I would have grown up with. And I think I was very fortunate to have grown up around people who were very generous um, in terms of the time that they gave me. Uh, around dancing and even just the sense of family that we had around Irish step dancing. So I tried to pay that forward to, you know, to my dance parents and make this something that's quite affordable for them, you know. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one to take, though. I certainly don't want to be spending, you know, a 2,000 euro on a, on a costume. And I wouldn't be encouraging anyone to, to do that, um, you know, and... 
And and if I mean if somebody because we're hearing stories of up to six thousand euro in fact for for certain costumes and the like. Yeah. If if a kid is wearing a particularly expensive costume and the the right hair and wigs and so, is that taken into account in the adjudication along with the dancing prowess? It's ideally it shouldn't be. I you know I can't say for sure. Mm. You know I'm not. An adjudicator. I know mm. if I was adjudicating that, you know, that wouldn't be an issue. And I would think for most adjudicators, their focus is watching the dancing. You might have two or three dancers on stage at a time, so I don't think they have a lot of time to even assess how, you know, good or how good the tan is, how good the makeup is before the child starts dancing. It's uh, it's interesting. Um, you were very successful as a dancer yourself uh, uh, back home, uh, Eileen. Um, were they very different competitions to the kind of competition that is there now? No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I think the format has been quite similar. Um, that hasn't really changed. Um, I I think there there are certainly aspects that are different to what's done here in Ireland but there in terms of major competitions um i wouldn't say that there's much difference mm. um because there say like the the north american championships you know that's an international competition um and that's run quite similarly to the way that you would see the all worlds run the all ireland Right. And do, and again, to go back to when you were dancing uh, competitively yourself, I mean, do you did you feel hard done by from time to time in terms of decisions make made? And yes, I did. Yeah, um, I, you know, there was never proof, but I, I was never politically connected. Let's say as a dancer, and there were definitely times I felt that it might not have been that I was say judged against, but that I wasn't really given a fair shot because I wasn't from, you know, maybe a school that was as popular um, and that my teachers hadn't, you know, weren't as, weren't known maybe, or the dance schools weren't known. So if a school is very popular, and again, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're speaking about your experience back, back home in the States, if a school is a particularly well-known school and maybe a school that produces champions or the like, they're looked upon more favorably. Is that is that what you're saying to me, Eileen? Not all judges. No, no. Um, I would, but I do think you have the odd judge, and I think this is what we're seeing happen now, is that you have people who are willing to favor um, one dancer over another, um, and it wasn't necessarily even because of an exchange of money or favors or things like that. It could have just been that they were familiar with the dancer and they knew the teacher and that was it. And they, you know. Um, and are you saying that if, if two dancers, for instance, were pretty close in terms of their ability, that the the, the, the gold might go to the, the, the better known dancer or the dancer from a, a club that the adjudicator was familiar with, for example? It might. It might. I mean, I think... Something to consider is that when you're looking at that level of competition, that it's very difficult at times to say decipher who should be first.
first. Somebody has to be picked. Yes, it's subjective so to some degree, I suppose. It I, is subjective, yeah. and sometimes it can come down to style. So there were judges who wouldn't have necessarily liked my style. It wasn't necessarily about my school, but there were other reasons. And I know as a dancer that I certainly made mistakes. I was not a perfect dancer. So I would not say that I, you know, I had met many instances of being, say, left left out of favor. But I would say that there were certainly times that stood out in my dance career where I felt that there were there was favoritism towards other schools. Right. So this isn't today nor yesterday then in terms of no, it's not. this this sort of thing hap- happening, I suppose. Would this be a good time, Eileen, for on commission to look inward and say, is it time to sort of, you know, look at the whole Irish dancing um, model uh, in, t- in terms of maybe, you know, the, the wigs and the costumes and the tan and stuff, and maybe take it back to the basics, because the, you had a lovely line. I was looking at, um, uh, it may have been an interview you did or a piece of blurb about you, but you said you hope, you hope to keep the tradition alive in Ireland in the land of its birth. And sometimes for a tradition to flourish, it needs to be taken back to basics. Is it time for that with Irish dance? I think it's possible. I do think Uncommissioned is certainly looking um, at itself, but I, I think it has done this before as well. There was discussion years ago now when I was a new teacher um, and I was still in the States about bringing in, you know, a uniform costume at the championship level. Yes. And that was tabled. And I'm not absolutely sure of the specifics there at the time. I don't know. I can't remember. Was it just teachers or parents? Or but there was definitely kind of a, a backlash for Ankhmishun bringing that up. That but that had been up for discussion, and I wonder whether that will be revisited. I don't know. It'll be very interested, uh, interesting to to see. But in the meantime, Eileen, uh, teachers like yourself will continue to teach and continue to coach young people in what is a, a fantastic art. I, I don't like lately how it's being referred to as a sport, actually. I'm not sure how you feel about this, because I think it's artistic, you know. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it, it, some people say I would have been quite an athletic dancer, so uh, and I treated it as a sport. Um, and I think many dancers do, but it, it's a performing art that yes. requires incredible, you know, stamina, skill, um, and it's also something I think for all of us who are involved as teachers that we're very proud of and that this is a great way for us to share our heritage. Um, and it's also it's about passing this on to children. And we have to remember that they're the focus at the end of the day. And we want them to have a positive experience of this, whether it's in competition or great exams or shows or whatever it is, that this is an incredibly positive Thing for young people to do to prepare something and to present it publicly I mean it, it's had a huge impact on my life and I you know I don't want to see this scandal break our dancing you know Eileen, it was such a pleasure to talk to you today and we really appreciate you uh, talking to us because not many people are speaking out from the world of dance following all of this. So uh, really appreciate it, uh, Eileen. Look look after yourself and the very best of luck to you as well, Eileen. Thanks so much, friend. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That is Eileen O'Reilly there, Irish dance teacher in the Kilbehany 
area speak to us about that uh, recent uh, emergence of, I suppose, scandal in uh, Irish dance. One of the tabloids uh, today, of course, jumping to the... Um, to the headline of uh, Dirty Dancing. But anyway, how do you feel about that? 1800-938-007. Fran, it's not just Irish dance. What about local scores? I know a local girl. Um, uh, she was absolutely brilliant with her recitation. Everybody thought she was fantastic. She didn't make one mistake. And uh, the next competitor... Um, OK, you go on to give me some information about that. But suffice to say, anyway that the young lady who was thought to be the best did not win. And that's making reference to some uh, scores out there. Now, I, as a kid, I was involved in scores all over the place and sure, we always thought if we lost uh, that we were the best. Um, so I'm, I'm sure there's an element of every crow thinks their own is the blackest as well. But anyway, how do you feel about that? 83 the Imro Radio Award winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel, or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie. My old friend Eamon O'Dwyer is in inch for this week's Down Your Way. Here's just a little taste of what you can expect to hear on Saturday morning from 10 o'clock. into our programme. Uh, terrific. Uh, Sally Young, how are you doing? Not too bad at all, Eamon. Yeah, absolutely. We're here at the Tuesday Club. The Tuesday Club, yeah. Tell us about the Tuesday Club. Before we mention the Tuesday Club, the two boys, Dave Hogan. The two boys, Teacher Hogan and Dave Lawler. Oh, and they came this morning to join us here and play a bit of music. And what a morning. I mean, imagine on a, on a Saturday morning here to be here, such a crowd to be here. Eamon, uh, Dahi O'Shea, a few months ago there, was down in uh, the Rose Tralee and he had 32 ladies in front of him. And this morning you were surrounded by 50 ladies. <laughs> oh, you didn't mention it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it is fantastic and you're hugely welcome. And we're here uh, to pre-launch the book, uh, a book that all of you guys wrote in the last number of months. That's right, yeah. The last and, number of years, and, be, and before we start now, I'd like to especially welcome, and I know they'll be joining with us on uh, Saturday morning when the programme is, uh, is on uh, Tip FM. We really welcome the people that can't be here with us. But since we started the club, you know, they were part of our club as well. And we, we welcome new people here today, and they will be, you know, with us mm -hmm. for, for time to come. And we welcome back some of the ladies that maybe through a bit of ill health or something, couldn't join with us. But mm -hmm. they're all here today. And what a fantastic morning to be here and have so many and such a turnout. And we are absolutely delighted to welcome you. And Terrific. And I know it's going to be a special week for Drummond and Gender, a big county semi-finals oh. on the weekend. We, 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 <laughs> will we even mention that today? <laughs> uh, well, the funny, the strange thing was in our book, we have, we, I think the, the word hurling was only mentioned once, which is amazing in a place like Drummond Inch. But this was, this was the ladies, really. But we, we do, of course, 
you can't have the men without the ladies and you can't have the hurlers without the ladies and all the backup that they, they, they're given and that they get. So we wish them all the best of luck. And actually, we have Dave here now this morning with us, and he's actually a selector with our intermediate team. Lovely. So we have a very busy weekend. Mm -hmm. We have three games going on. Friday, Saturday and Sunday. What a big weekend for us. And the radio programme thrown in. And the radio programme on Saturday morning. I mean, where could you get it? <laughs> where could you get it? Tell us about uh, the Tuesday Club. How well, did it all come about? Well, the Tuesday Club started here in uh, 2015 and uh, it was felt that, you know, maybe something to cater for the older people. Mm. Uh, so they, they, they started it off and they all came and they all enjoyed the meeting. I think... The chat and the cup of tea is the main thing that people really enjoy. Absolutely. We, we learn different things here, you know, every, every Tuesday. Um, we, we've had talks, we've had, we see Paddy here and we have Michael Long and they've given different talks on nature and gardening and all that. And we're very lucky that we are linked up with the ETB and they provide courses to us and they're absolutely fabulous. And we learn new things, mm -hmm. you know, you can always learn, can't you? Yeah. So we're going pre-launching the book later on. We're going launching our book, Reflections. Oh, lovely. And will I tell you a bit about how it came about? Absolutely, that's what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose after COVID last February, uh, after the last lockdown, we were only absolutely delighted to come back here to the hall. And as I said, the ETB provide these courses. And they... I suppose people were, after COVID and the lock-up, they were meant to experience new things. So the ETB suggested a creative writing course. They said, why not? Why not? Why won't we try something different? So they sent us on Marion Brown, the first tutor. And she threw out a few... I mean, we weren't really sure what this creative writing was going to be about, but she threw out a few things at us, and everybody can tell a story. You know, mm -hmm. everybody can tell a story. Maybe everybody can't write the story, but everybody can tell the story. So she set the seeds of that. And we, we started off and she threw out a few suggestions and uh, really in hindsight when we look back, the book actually started on the 8th of March. Eamon, do you know what the 8th of March is? I have no idea. It's actually International Women's Day. Okay. Now, sure, how, how would I know? <laughs> yeah. Well, now you know and you'll never forget it. Yeah. And on that day, um, somebody suggested that Carmel Hogan here would tell her the story about her mother. She was the first uh, female TD in Tipperary. So Carmel told her story, and then Marion set her the challenge, will you write that story? Mm -hmm. And like anybody that's, you know, get the homework, and they're told, you know, asked to do, she went home, and the following week she came back with this beautiful story about her mother, and she got TJ to help her to write it. Mm -hmm. So that started the ball rolling, and we said, if Carmel can do it, we can do it. So we, 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 we went on from there and she threw out different uh, ideas to us. So then her six weeks was over and we, we got an, another wonderful lady, Esther Mackey, came from ETB. Mm -hmm. And she was absolutely amazed at what we had gathered. And she said it was a pity that to let all that history and knowledge die. So she said she'd try and put it into a, 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 a booklet for us. And you see the booklet there now. It was, it was a very nice present booklet, A4, A4 page and whatever. Yeah, okay. So this went on anyway. We're still gathering and we're still talking and as we usually do. And the next thing, she said, I think there's a book in that. Are you willing to write a book? We said, we will. Why wouldn't we? So 
then Owen Coslow from the ETB came on board. Of course, we are only a non-profit organisation here, so we wouldn't have the wherewithal for to produce, to, to, to fund a book. Mm -hmm. So uh, we went about that then, and with the backing and the support from the ETB, we set about the book. So the next step then was we had Brian Maher, my neighbour and a parish man now, and he came, and, and Catherine came as well, and explained to us how we set up a book. So they were wonderful, gave us great encouragement. So we moved on then, and a very raw form now we gave it to Catherine. And I think she actually worked miracles. Now the thing about it is that nobody here today has seen this book, except one or two. And I tell you, I think when they see this book, they will be absolutely amazed to think that the Drummond ladies, Tuesday Club could produce this. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, well done indeed to the Drum and Inch uh, Ladies Club on the production of that book. That's a little taste of what you can expect from down your way this coming Saturday morning. That's tomorrow morning from 10 o'clock. Well done to Eamon and all the gang there. Can I say a special hello to Elaine Walsh of Ballyporeen because Mary from the post office gave me this request uh, yesterday. I know that Elaine is moving into a new house in lovely Wexford. And best wishes from all the gang in Ballyporeen. The Imro Radio Award-winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie On Wednesday last, we spoke to Kate Murray, a Tipperary uh, woman who suffered with a codeine addiction, particularly an addiction to Nurofen Plus. Now, it sparked a lot of engagement from listeners. One of our regular contributors, Paul McCarthy, is a pharmacologist and he joins me now. Paul, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. And as long as I know you, Paul, I didn't realise that you used to work for the manufacturers of Nurofen. Well, you never asked me, Fran. <laughs> that, that's a very good point indeed. You, you scared me with one of the things you said to us, Paul, because you said codeine is a more powerful drug than morphine. Yeah, I, I don't want to bog you down or the listeners down in the technical details, but... Um, in, in order to get pain relief, um, we use opioid drugs, and they're called opioid drugs because <clears throat> they were originally extracted from the opium poppy. Um, we're including drugs like codeine in that. Um, the opium poppy is about 5% codeine. It's the resin that comes out when you harvest it. Mm. So <clears throat> um, codeine, when you take a drug like codeine, it gets into your bloodstream, and it goes looking for the home. And the home, in the case of uh, the brain and spinal cord, are little, little areas on the cell surface of your nervous tissue that recognize codeine and, and bind it. And once it's bound to this little particular site, which is called a receptor, once the codeine is bound to its receptor, it gets the... It, it, it starts working. It just won't work when it starts floating around in your bloodstream. Mm. So it starts working, and what it does is in in the brain and spinal cord, it says, okay, uh, codeine is stuck on its receptor, and I'm going to switch off these pain signals that are traveling through the nerves uh, involved. Now, the difference, codeine is a narcotic. It's an opioid. It, it only... Very, it's a kissing cousin of morphine. Mm. And the more I talk about this, people will begin to realise how dangerous 
a, a, a substance, codeine, can be when you use it incorrectly. The codeine, in it, to give it a chemical name, is 3-methylmorphine. Morphine. It's, wow. It's very, very, very close structurally to morphine and is derived from, it would be, wouldn't it, because it comes from the opium mm. poppy. So the difference between morphine and codeine is that when you take morphine, the morphine molecule, like the codeine molecule, sits around in your bloodstream looking for this little receptor home on, on, on the surface of the cell. But unlike codeine, morphine recognizes this receptor very, very well and sticks on it very, very well. So to get an effect from morphine, you give a lower dose than to get the same effect from codeine. I hope I haven't confused people. No, no, it's but, most interesting, yeah. But once it's stuck on that receptor, what codeine does is make the receptor work like hell, much, much, much better than morphine. The difference is codeine has what they call a lower affinity for this receptor than morphine. Now, move on to liability to addiction. Codeine has a very, very, very high uh, liability to become addicted to it. It's very high. Um, the, I used to work uh, in the old days uh, on a drug called buprenorphine, um, which was a kissing cousin of morphine, but had a much, much lower addiction potential. And we were curious to see why, if you like, that drug um, was uh, abused on the street. And turns out I ended up talking to drug users, people who used illicit drugs. A lot of people would call them addicts. I don't. I think that's a bit pejorative. People get into all sorts of difficulties with mm. legal and illegal drugs. And they would tell me that coding helps in a lot of ways these are people now who are heavily dependent on narcotics. Codeine helps to relieve their symptoms of withdrawal. If they can't get their regular drug, they'll get they'll take codeine. So these may be heroin addicts. You're saying to me, is that yeah? It, it yeah. could be heroin addicts. They could be they could be addicted to well, you use yeah addicts. They're dependent upon a lot of opioid substances, a lot of narcotic substances. Could be heroin. It could be morphine. It could be fentanyl. It could be anything related to yes. those drugs. So what we've got is a situation where people um, going into a pharmacy, describing to the pharmacist or the pharmacy assistant what their problem is, as we saw in that primetime uh, TV mm. show, mm. and they get neurofen plus. Now, Neurofen Plus has 12.8, each tablet has 12.8 milligrams of codeine in it. And the real problem, and I think that, that, that young woman, Kate, I forget her name. Kate uh, Murray, she, yes. Yeah. Her, she, she mentioned another problem, not only codeine addiction, but she mentioned burning holes in her stomach. Yes. And that's because over the... The non-prescription codeine products are always mixed with something else. If it's in tablet form, codeine can be mixed with what they call a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, or it can be mixed with aspirin, or it can be mixed with paracetamol. 
And if you mix it with either aspirin or, or a non-steroidal like ibuprofen, Nurofen is ibuprofen and codeine. If you take too much of those drugs, what will happen is that the, the ibuprofen stops your stomach from producing a protective lining. And the acid then in your stomach can get actually at your own stomach and start eating a hole in it. That's the simplest way of describing it. Oh, my God. And it's incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. So not only have you got codeine, a highly addictive compound, formulated with another drug, a very good drug, ibuprofen, um, but if, when you start taking too much of these, these, these tablets, if it's got ibuprofen in it or, or, or aspirin, you're very likely to burn a hole in the stomach or cause problems lower down in your in your gastrointestinal tract. And Paul, what about the people who said to me afterwards, yeah, but you were talking to a lady who was taking up to 90 of these things a day. I only take three or four. Yeah, well, that's, that, you know, when you were, I don't know about you, Fran, but, you know, when you're little, you nick a cigarette from your mum's uh, purse or pack, you know, from, from the home and go behind the bicycle shed and smoke it, and you're sick. But you think, oh, I'll try it again, I'll mm. try it again, I'll try it again. So the reason that the uh, the Neurofen Plus is given in a three-day supply is that because if you take it for longer than three days, there is a possibility, and it's somewhat related to your personality makeup, there is a possibility that you will become addicted to it. Now, why do people take it in the first place? People take it in the first place probably, but not always, because they're in pain. Mm. If you're in pain, the codeine works. You don't really... Well, you might need the ibuprofen as well if it's neurofen plus. But the, the codeine, apart from being a good painkiller, does other things. It changes your mood. It will improve your mood. Uh, depending on where you are, where your mood level is, it will be noticeable. And people use that so you, you become uh, physically, you become physically in need of the codeine because you've got pain. But then you realise that, do you know what, it makes me feel a little bit better. So you continue using it, although you, the pain has gone, you continue to use it for its secondary purpose, which is to improve mood. And it, in, in the old Victorian times, the, there was a popular product called Tincture of Laudanum. And Tincture of Laudanum was basically crude extract of opium in a liquid, and people would drink the bottle and they'd feel better. But they didn't realise at the time that this was the route road to physical addiction. And if you're physically addicted to coding, you are in trouble, basically, because it's very painful, as we know, to, to cure that addiction. And you're, you're in no doubt, Paul, I'm gathering, that this should be prescription only. Yeah. We have two... The idiocy of this, although I, I, I'm not saying that the people who regulate these things uh, are the Human Products Regulatory Agency, the Health Products, beg my pardon, the Health Products Regulatory Agency, uh, which is a national body, and if you want to get a drug licence for use in Ireland, you have to go through that agency to get approval. If you look at the Neurofen Plus type compounds, and there are a lot of them containing COVID, including cough bottles, um, then they all contain 
12.8 milligrams of codeine. Now, 12.8 milligrams doesn't sound much, but a, there are millions and millions and millions of molecules of codeine in 12.8 milligrams. I was going to work it out, Frank, but it's a telephone. I'm a huge amount of codeine. Right. If you go the next, and those are what those are over-the-counter remedies. They are slightly more restricted in in pharmacy use. They they're not. You can't put them on public display. And we heard in the program that there are other restrictions that yes. pharmacists are supposed to go through before they dispense them, and they won't repeat those there. But so there are there are kind of behind-the-counter medicines that you have to ask for. If you go from 12.8 milligrams per tablet to 15 milligrams per tablet, that now becomes a prescription-only medicine. You have to go to a, a medical doctor to get that prescribed. Now, 12.8 and 15, do the math, it's 2.2 milligrams of a difference. 2.2 milligrams. So if you take two tablets of Nurofen Plus, you get double 25 milligrams of codeine, but if 25 milligrams of codeine appeared in one tablet, it would be a prescription-only medicine. Do you see the, the, the see. subtle but indistinct uh, comparison? So what we, what other countries have done with, with codeine is they have made it prescription-only medicine. In the UK, there's a middle category called pharmacy medicine, uh, and, and that's where Nurofen Plus type of, of product is, but that hasn't fixed. Um, codeine addiction in 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 the UK. There were 200 deaths last. Um, I think it was 2020. There were 200 deaths. People people should know. And the and the girl um, in the program, Kate, um, didn't said she didn't realise because it was over the counter yeah. how yeah. dangerous it was. Mm. So the you will find people getting hooked on products like Nurofen Plus innocently, like like she did. Or who know that it's got coding in it, and they actually want the coding. I was again a long time ago. I would talk to drug users who broke into pharmacy, and Frank, it was brilliant. It was, it was. I mean, I I live and breathe drug and and pharmacology. Mm. But talking to these men and women, it was like a human pharmacopoeia. They would break into a pharmacy, and they'd tell me what they were looking for. And if they found coding, they take it because they knew what that did. Now, yeah. you work it out. We need coding has to be prescription only medicine. It's, you will find all sorts of people rearing up at you saying, "Yeah, but I need it. I need it. I need it." Mm. Well, if you need it, you have to that badly. You have to go and see your doctor. Have to. Paul, it's it, it's incredible. It's very frightening. And and just briefly, because I'm I'm always running out of time. Um, what would you say to people out there who are taking this on a daily basis uh, and, and might have been doing so for quite a while? Your, right, your advice right. to them now is what, Paul? Ask yourself this question. Are you still in the situation you were in when you first started taking it? And if the answer to that is no, then you are likely that you'd be using it for the wrong purposes and you are in need of help. And go and, go and find help. Talk to your doctor first. Paul, I mean, it's, a, it's a dangerous stuff. Lastly, Frank, can yeah. I just make one appeal? Yes, please. In the early days, people in serious pain, really serious pain in this country, are given morphine, quite rightly given morphine. But morphine will stop working. Morphine is not as strong a drug as people think. The drug that people think is 
very powerful is a drug called diamorphine, which is, a, which is again related to morphine, which is dimethylmorphine. And the other name for di- and so when people in serious pain in, in hospitals and, and, and in terminal care need a drug stronger than morphine, they can't get it, not in this country, because they need diamorphine. Diamorphine's other name is heroin. And you can't get it in this country, and I tried with the Department of Health for years and years and years, you can't get it because they say it will go onto the street. Well, that's ridiculous. That's quite ridiculous because the street is awash with illicit heroin as it is. The diam- patients in Ireland need diamorphine to treat very severe pain and they cannot get it. And it ought to be a national scandal. It ought to be a national scandal that people die in pain because the Department of Health has this irrational, completely lunatic idea that if they license diamorphine for clinical use in Ireland, that it will somehow find its way onto the street. It doesn't happen. Paul, it's it's just a fascinating conversation and we must continue it again. Paul, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Good morning to you. News is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. You're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Now, a couple of things just uh, to let you know about. Um, Councillor Richie Malloy was on to us with his family carers, Ireland hat on him to tell us that he and his team will be at various locations in Clonmel, including the post office and super value in Poppyfields, selling their heart of gold pins and they're asking for your uh, support on this and uh, also telling me of course how important this fundraising is to Family Carers Ireland so I know you'll do what you can uh, for them if you come across them and also Sheila was telling me that she got a phone call um, about Kill Alone Graveyard Mass that was to happen this weekend and because of weather uh, difficulties and the like, it's postponed until the 16th. So that's the graveyard mass that was to happen in Killalone. All right, it's time for our Friday panel. Delighted to be joined in the studio now by Liam Brown. Liam is with us, uh, quite often part of our panel, community activist. Uh, Maria Raftis is with us for the first time, and uh, Maria, former uh, broadcaster. And uh, we welcome back Lena Ryan. And Lena, of course, is a community activist. So you're all very welcome, and thank you for, for coming in to us today. Can we begin? with this because we spoke to Philly on the show and this this caused a lot of controversy and he told us how he confronted um, a young lady at a shopping centre in Kilkenny because she was wearing a burqa. Now she didn't engage with him and he went on to confront her husband then who was behind her with their with their child and again that man was quite pleasant uh, to him. They didn't engage but Philly's story was that he was really incensed because of the killing of the young woman in Tehran uh, by the um, by the police there. Um, Lena can I start with you on, on this? Uh, first of all the notion that Willie was so incensed by what happened in Tehran that he confronted this young woman. What, what do you feel about that? 
Well, I mean, it, it wasn't the young woman's fault. And I think that was an issue that he had. It was a he problem rather than a her problem. And it's not fair in us to project our issues that are outside of our control onto somebody else. So I, I think it was probably disrespectful. Uh, good that he had the anger about the issue of the young lady being killed. But I don't think it was right that he confronted her. Um, I, I think she was magnificent in that she held her head and just kept walking. Um, and that her, her husband or her partner with the child did the same thing. Um, it is um it's 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 something we're not used to in Ireland. We're getting more used to. Um, I, I personally have no objection to anybody. You can wear and do what what you like as long as it doesn't affect me. But just once I happened to be on a bus. Uh, at night and I did find it I just found it intimidating now um, because you can only see the eyes but that's everybody's choice and I didn't have anything interaction with these people mm. and they didn't with me but um, mm. I said we have to stand And would up. you be equally intimidated if there was a bunch of Irish young dads or young women with, with hoodies on them for yes, example? Yes I, I, I probably be, would right. I probably would have at that particular time and, and uh, there was very few on the bus and, and, and I would have I would right. uh, and I, I'm very you have to always watch your own safety these people did absolutely nothing to me they just I just felt that that's right. the way I felt and I can't help the way I feel you know but uh, and and some countries decided to ban the burqa and I'm thinking of France and Belgium and Chad and quite a few other countries Switzerland lots and lots of other countries as well do you think that that's something we should look at here I I, I don't I mean am right. we going to ban politicians wearing suits into the doll are we going to we ban you wearing a jumper coming to work are we going to say oh sorry you can wear something and I can't I think it's everybody's choice unless it impacts you know, on the society in general, but we've no right to dictate to people how they dress or how they uh, conduct themselves unless it has an impact on society. So I don't think we should, I don't think any place should be banning them really. All right, Liam, what, what are your thoughts on this? There's not a huge amount I can add really that Lena hasn't already said. Um, I think it was in probably the softest terms I can make it seriously bad form for any grown man to tackle a woman and to kind of shout at her about what she's wearing. I'm not, I'm not sure that he shouted, but well, he certainly made himself clear. that Even he, to make himself clear about what she's wearing, it's none of his business. And we've got to be absolutely straight about that. It's none of his business. Um, if he had a problem with what happened to the young girl in, in Iran, which he should have, well, then, you know, he can discuss that with the Iranian embassy. He can protest outside the Iranian embassy. But what I would be afraid of is, is like, him being on the radio trying to justify what he did would give succour to other people who might think the same and might think that they might start doing it as well. You know, and that's, you know once a kind of a mob begins and you know we'll push out a certain group of people as others uh, obviously uh, people in the Muslim community who wear the burqas and you know let's start taking it up with them at what point then does it become very very intimidating I mean it's easy for us to say that we may feel intimidated by the fact that somebody may wear a burqa but you know I can sure be pretty intimidating for someone to tackle uh, a lady who's going about her business, minding her own business. Yeah, somebody made an interesting point and said that, you know, if you confronted an Irish couple about something that they were wearing, they, they, they'd be war. Well, where know? do you stop? Where do you stop? Can you imagine confronting a nun about the wearing <laughs> yes, of a mantilla? Yeah, yeah. You know, can you imagine yeah. you know, confronting a Jewish person about the wearing of... of can't remember the name of the skull cap, it'll come to me in a minute. Yes. I mean, people wear certain clothes uh, for religious purposes. It's their business, you know, it's their religion, it's their entitlement. They're not really affecting me Un until somebody affects me, until somebody affects the general community by what they wear. I mean, where next? We, you know, we, we've often had discussions about what young girls can wear when they go out. Mm. I mean, are, are we now saying that we should wear a sackcloth sack and ashes so that we don't offend anybody? I think it's... 
I was very, very surprised when I was told that we were going to be discussing the first place because I, I thought we'd gone beyond that. Mm. Do you know that we'd moved into the 21st century? And would you give him any uh, excuse that he was so taken up and upset about what happened none to the all. young 22-year-old in no, Tehran? Abso- no? no, absolutely none at all. Yeah. I would be just as upset, and I've been following that case in Iran, and just as upset about what happened to that young girl in Iran. Mm. But you cannot give any succour or substance or comfort to people who think they can take effectively... Not the law, because he didn't do anything illegal. Well, apart from the fact that maybe, you know, intimidating somebody in a public area probably is illegal. You ju- you just can't do it. And we cannot sit here and say, Fran, that there's in any way that's okay. Yeah. Because other people will listen to us making an excuse for that, and it will go further, and it really should be stopped before it does. Maria, this is where we heard from you first on this on this topic. Would you just, just repeat maybe your concerns about this? Um. Basically, I believe that his behaviour, he allowed his emotions to override his critical faculties. And we all as adults have to take accountability for our choices and our decisions. He, as an adult, chose to walk down the road and in his own right, chose to harass a couple, all on the basis of a piece of clothing Mm. that she wears, which she... No, he he wouldn't see it as harassing. He would see it as he was making a point. He would see it that he has a right... I think yeah. he figured that the, maybe the lady was cor- forced into wearing this thing. Well, I understand. I can understand people um, um, being outraged, you know. Mm. And on top of that as well, mainstream media are absolutely, as I said on the radio, the mainstream media are have they're pumping this mm. incident which happened to this poor lady over in Iran. So when it's been there on, on repeat, on repeat all the time, um, <clears throat> it's still no justification. Mm. He was disrespectful to somebody. At the end of the day, I'm not afraid to call people out on their behaviour. Mm. And that's as simple as that. You, you you had no problem speaking to us about your own daughter and, and her, I do. her experience. My, uh, my, daughter, yeah. my daughter converts to Islam. Yeah. And um, she's married to a lovely Englishman. His mother is from Ukraine and his father's from Afghanistan. Mm. Yes, and, and he, does she wear <coughs> that particular garb? No, she, she actually wears a hijab. A hijab. Well, but she well, also, can you explain the has, difference to me? Because there's a little well, bit of confusion out there about that. The well, the burqa is um, is the attire that can go over um, the whole body, mm-hmm. and then all you see is the eyes. Or you can wear a hijab, which is just a head covering, and you can have sort of like a little veil. Now she, okay. she has actually gone out wearing that at times, and especially it was during COVID, mm. and um, she's been spat at. She's been sworn at. And then, of course, they're, then they're taken aghast because then they hear a white Irish girl's accent. Wow. <laughs> they well, do, yeah. People have spat at her. They have, yes. It's incredible, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is hate stuff, isn't it? Um, it's people being intolerant. Yeah. It's people being intolerant of... Um, allow, basically, it's people thinking that they have some form of authority and also as well, it's mostly people who, if they really peel back all the layers, um, they're, they don't really have much substance mm. and they're mostly people who don't have a faith in, them, in, in yeah. the general sense. But yet they will be very quick to um, criticise people of other faiths, whether it be Islam or Christianity. Yeah, if you don't go along with their ideologies or their thinking, that's it you are against us, you know. They don't exercise, um, they don't exercise mm. 
mind your own business, basically, you know? Yeah, and that's what came across for most people. Well, it, well, Lena, would you be very surprised to hear that Maria's daughter was spat upon just because she was wearing her, her oh, hijab? Oh, I wouldn't. I mean, you, you, that, I wouldn't, that doesn't surprise It horrifies me, but it doesn't surprise me, no. But I think, um, Maria mentioned a minute ago, I think mainstream media is... Is, is pouring out this vitriol. It's the only thing I can th- about customs and things that we don't know and don't understand. So it's creating a huge fear. You know, as I said, I, I was afraid, but then until I went and, it, it, you know, d- dealt with that fear when it happened to me and said, well, this is ridiculous. This is a piece of clothing, right. you know, that I think they're... And unless you're prepared to examine your own reactions and take responsibility for them, and an awful lot of people don't and don't know how to, and they, they believe what the mainstream media is telling them and they believe what they read every day uh, without actually without investigating or questioning it yeah, further. Quite a lot of the uh, main news last night, I'm not sure if you saw it, Liam, was pictures of the young women, uh, you know, burning the these headgear and cutting off their own hair and stuff by way of protest. Absolutely, and it's fantastic to see that they protest. I mean, the ability to protest, protest in in any democracy in any country is sacrosanct in my opinion because it's it's one way of of pushing back tyranny. But again, it's been mentioned twice about mainstream media, and funny enough, I suppose we're on mainstream media talking about it here. So it's quite funny. Look, you have a thick skin. Leo. But that's it. But I mean, there's there's about 1.2 to 1.4 billion Muslims in the world. But you know, we consider every Muslim to be a member of the Taliban who's running down from the hills who's trying to cut the heads off everybody. <laughs> that's true. that's not true. I mean, Muslims are uh, Muslim. Muslim people, people who f- follow Islam. There are doctors. There are neighbours. There are people that work besides. There are people in our community, mm. and we need to stop this idea that there's this group does this, that group does that, and we have to be in our group and we have to get away the other group. I mean, throughout history, all these groups live together. Mm. It's only in the last. Which did we have it here, Liam? That anybody with you know that might speak with a, a nationalist bent or Republican bent was a card-carrying member of the IRA. But this, you know? this is it. Like, but it, it's so easy to pick out the one or two people and say those people are examples of yeah. a whole community when they're not examples of a whole community at all at all. Yes. Uh, like, I, when I, I keep saying it, when I, when I got to this, say that we were going to even talk about it, I was shaking my head. I mean, the same person would probably be quite happy to go up to Kilkenny General Hospital if he fell down and meet a Muslim doctor or probably not even know he's a Muslim doctor. He could be Sikh, right. he could be whatever. And be treated. And by be him. treated and be quite happy. We cannot give any help to people who think that you can just intimidate, harass, walk up. T- t- the idea of someone being spat on, your daughter being spat on, is disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting, and that has to be called out and said. That is not acceptable behaviour in any civilised society. Uh, final words on it, uh, Maria. What's well, I do, I do believe that um, Western mainstream media has painted a bad light in relation to Islam, and also as well, um, us. Um, it's, it seems to be a trend over the last many years where um, let's wave a flag for the latest um, outrage. Mm. You know. And um, and like if there's an outrage somewhere abroad, let's march down the street for that, you know. And are you saying that we tend to do this without proper information? Or we without... tend to do that, but then again, I do believe that we are swayed very heavily by mainstream media. We are because I mean, at the end of the day, when you have mm. overload and bombardment, and then of course on even on social media platforms, that's a day, but it's changing the photographs. I'm supporting this cause right now, and now I'm supporting about that the mainstream song. media. Yes. I mean, I've been involved in quite a few radio stations over yeah. the years, and nobody sits down at 7 o'clock in the morning and decide some sort of strange editorial policy that would lead us down a certain path. That doesn't happen. Well, you, well, you see, you have to also uh, remember that 
um, people spend quite a considerable amount of time on social media platforms. So on average, some people spend about four hours. So if you're there four hours and you're watching these, say, um, um, newspaper editorials that, are, that are, are coming up every 15, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and then the same thing subconsciously. Yes, it is. And you're just reading them through your news feed, whether it be Twitter, whether it be um, mm. Facebook. It's, it's, it's saturation. And, and saturation outrage, you know. It was something that happened abroad. It was horrendous what happened to this lady. But at the same time, we need to bring our heads back in domestically to Ireland in the grand scheme of things. Um, I do believe us as an Irish nation, we have allowed um, and we've been very welcome to people of different faiths and people from different backgrounds outside of the EU state here mm. in Ireland. I wonder how much that's changing at the moment, but therein is a whole other conversation. Uh, let's take a break. We'll be back with our panel in just a moment. The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Welcome back to our Friday panel. <laughs> I saw two ladies uh, this morning in their pyjamas. There I open my gob. It says here, um, somebody else saying to us, um, you're going on about mainstream media, um, but we accepted a single narrative where COVID is concerned. And uh, that's in from Barry. And that's something we brought up, in fact, uh, while uh, the ads were going on there, that we tried our best here to put a bit of balance into it and hear from alternative um, sources and the like. But anyway, there was war. I'm still recovering from it, in fact. Um, Can we go to one of the letters in our dear Phil slot that got an awful lot of it? Attention. The mother made a contact with Phil to say her youngest child, seven, bright child, very much aware of the world, spends a lot of time online. Through his uh, searching online, he came across, now remember, he's seven years old, he came across um, the notion of transgender, and he was kind of confused about it. He asked his mum about it, and she tried to explain to him. He went away with that explanation, obviously had a look at some more stuff, and then came back with the notion that, you know, he might like to be a girl because it sounded more exciting. So this was based on his access to this stuff uh, online. Liam, can I start with you where this is concerned? A mother completely confused here, not knowing even where to go on, on this. So much so she writes to Phil, you know. First of all, I'd say fair play to the mother because you know, she felt that she could talk to the child and try her best to discuss something which has become more of a conversation piece, I suppose, in the last couple of years. Um, this is one of these things where it affects very, very few people, but everybody seems to have an opinion on it or seems to think it affects them. It doesn't. It affects a very small amount of people. Um, it's something that has to be discussed. It's it's part of sexuality, which has been discussed now in primary schools, and I think that's, that's right. Um, people's identity, people's place in life... Uh, if you read down the letter, the only thing I would say, if you read down the letter, you'll see that there's a couple of gender stereotypes in the letter. Like, you know, he's a boy, so he plays with trucks and soldiers. Yes, he's, not he's a, a boyish boy. <coughs> yeah, a, yeah um, you know, yeah. look, we've, we've built up those stereotypes over a long number of years. I think we need to take the, again, the... The, the huge kind of crash-bang wallop of all oh, transgenderism is trying to take over the world and they're trying to make us all change the way we talk and think and the LGBTI community uh, feel that they should be getting everything and if they're getting something, then somebody else is losing something. You know, if these things are about rights and by giving one group of people rights, you don't take rights away from somebody else. 
um, mm. by giving people information. But the confusion of a seven-year-old, I mean, the, there's no agenda to this. The, the kid was genuinely confused and came back to her because he thought, well, okay, maybe there's an option to be a girl and maybe that looks more exciting. Oh, perhaps, but I mean, I've I've seen I've seen kids, um, young boys playing with dolls along in girls and groups, and parents being absolutely horrified by the idea that the, the boy is playing with dolls. What's wrong with it? Like you know, I mean, th- these are kids; they're just getting on with their life. As they get older and they form their own opinions, they will make more decisions for themselves. Mm. We can't. We can look after our kids. We should look after our kids. We should give our kids a good moral outlook on life. We should teach them to be accepting of other people's point of view and decisions. But I mean, I don't know what the confusion is really. I mean, <clears throat> okay, the young boy came in and said, I, I think girls have a more exciting life. I mean, mm. he could just as easily said, I, I hate girls and stuff, and he walked and stomped off. Right. At seven, eight years of age, I would say, allow the child to be a child for a couple of more years. Well, I think that's that's her yeah. concern, isn't it? You know, um, you, you were shaking your head there, Maria, with some of what uh, um, Liam was saying. What, well, what were you shaking your head at? As a mother of four, we're all grown up. I mean, 25 years ago, my eldest daughter, the, when she was that age, I mean, she was all she was wondering about who's going to be the next Green Ranger, you know? Different times. Absolutely different times. Um, Senator Sharon Keown, actually, um, on the floor of the Shannon yesterday, um, spoke about um, a study which has been published, which I actually have with me. Nearly half of young people using gender services suffer from depression. Um, almost half of young adults attending gender services provided by the health authorities over the past six years suffered from depression, according to the findings of a new medical study. Researchers found that a high proportion of transgender patients aged between 18 and 30 years of age attending the National Gender Services suffered some kind of mental health issue. So she actually did address that and she also addressed on her social media platform. Um, of course, um, speaking impartially, um, there are um, two different camps out there. There are those who, um, while it's based on feelings, that's an ideology, mm. you know. And then there are those, it's ideology, and then there's biology. Mm. Yeah. So, but, with uh, this, new, with see, this, with this, my, with my this only st- fear about that, Maria, and it's what happened when <clears> when we discussed it, was that people jumped to all sorts of, the, you know, the bigger picture on the whole transgender debate and all of that. But here is a young lad who, because of what he's on, is just confused. And with all of the info that's out there at the moment, the mother was confused as to how she should deal with this. So it wasn't all about those big issues that divide people. It was simply a mother knowing, wondering, what should I say to the boy? Well, it's not actually been instilled in schools yet, um, the teaching of um, transgenderism. Um, Presently, it's actually... There's talk about it happening, though. Well, actually, no, actually, um, it was just announced... um, Actually, it was just there has been a pilot program which has mm. been taking place presently in County Wicklow, mm. and um, it is in. Um, he's a yeah. Yeah, in, right. I'll, I'll let you look through the. No, through I have it here. I actually, I, okay. have, I actually have right. it here. Um, he's um, it's taking place in um, Own Cleary. He's a teacher at Temple Carrick's um, Secondary School in County Wicklow. Um, described how the RSC program he introduced has now right. transformed students' view of their own sexuality and how we feel. Um, he went on to say that. He went on to say that um, it's generally one of shock and anger that students have. Right. Um, uh, okay, Okay. I'll leave you with that for a moment. Lena, just on the, the simplicity of, of the thing, here's a mother, she doesn't know how to deal with it. I mean, she doesn't have any agenda or anything. She's just wondering how she should deal uh, with it. And the child just heard the word and is obviously yeah. looking at, yeah. at stuff. Um, I think the mother did the right thing. She gave him an answer. I think 
I would have taken the, the, the phone off him and said, look, this is something that I don't understand, you don't understand, it's true. just go and live your life. I, I had a similar situation in my own life when my daughter was 11, asked me a question. I'm driving the car and she asked me a question. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my God. Let's and, go to McDonald's. And then, <laughs> and no, actually, she answered the question herself and I just said to her, right. look, this isn't the time and, you know, your answer is right, but you yes. won't understand it. So when you're older, I will tell you more. And then when we got home, I said, you know, you, you won't understand it. It'll be just make you scared. And I think just giving the mother thinking I have to give him all the information. He's yes. only seven. Yeah. Tell him it's something, you know, go in. Here's here's a, a dress, a, a dress up dress for Halloween. Dress up as a, a little girl and play around the house and see how you feel and come back to me. Make it into a game and yeah. let him see. Make Keep him the child. Don't bombard him with information. And for the yeah. mother to say, you, 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 he asked you a question. All most children at seven yeah. want is an answer. Mm. They don't, they don't really, really what care is, yeah. what the information is. Fran, what are you doing today? Will you take me to McDonald's? Yes, I will. No, I won't. OK, and then we'll go off. No, yeah. I'm hungry. And, and they're moving on to something else. Yeah, and, but away. they just want to be acknowledged in the answer. And yeah. then you can watch their behaviour. And you can, as, as Liam says, if they're predominantly playing with male toys or female toys, introduce yes. other things to them in a, in a, in a delicate way that but, lets them explain. But it is, it is interesting, enable. Liam, that the moment we started to talk about this, and with the greatest of respect to Maria, she went into all the bigger picture of it. And you know all well, the it is a bigger picture but, when, when adults uh, are being forced to... I, I um, don't think it is when... Well, it is when, when, it's been, when it's been introduced into legislation right. and then law in this country, so Absolutely. it is a big picture. Absolutely, but in this case, where a mother is at home, mm. busy with all the usual things that a mother is busy with, and she's just confronted with, with this just as a, a query, as a question. Well, I think we all are. I mean, I'm a parent, so I have two girls, and I remember they were nine or ten years of age, and we were sitting down having dinner, watching television was on in the background, and the gay pride... Prayed was on Dublin, and then suddenly we got bombarded with questions about yeah. what's that about, what's going on, and you know, kids will ask you. Everyone, everyone who's a parent knows kids will ask you 101 different questions. Well, there you go, Liam. What, do, what did you say now when you were bombarded? With well, that? we explained to them that some people, some uh, men would prefer to be in love with men, some women would prefer to be in love with women, uh, and they're happy with that, and they want to show that they're pride. And now, both my kids are very, very clued in mm. with mm. say the gender politics in that sense. Now they're yeah. 19, 21 in college. Um, Saoirse has two fantastic transsexual friends um, so I would have met these and when you meet them at the beginning you kind of how do you approach them how do you yeah, talk yeah, to yeah, them how yeah, do you speak yeah. to them and then you realise you speak to them like people you, you treat just, humans just you treat are. humans like yeah, humans yeah. you forget about the big picture and you forget about what oh we must do this study and that study maybe if we just treated people like people yeah. and stop worrying about these things with young kids as Lena said they're going to ask you a million questions you're not going to have a million answers you're going to try to answer them the best you can you're probably going to be embarrassed half the time yourself in some of the questions that you're asked I know I have been once or twice with two young girls but you <laughs> get on as best you can <laughs> Lena, you wanted to get in on that. I just think, like, as well as that, there needs to be an open conversation or for adults to be aware of conversations they're having mm. in the, amongst themselves when little children are listening because they are sponges the, yeah. and they soak up everything. Little, you know. I have a little granddaughter who's seven who went into school recently and somebody, her, her mother's friend was down who is, is gay and had her partner there and she was telling and the teacher said, what do you think? Well, sure, it's okay. They love each other. That's yeah. fine by me. And off she went to say she had a lovely dog in a camper van. You know, at the conversations we have, sometimes we forget that there's little, little ears listening well, and yeah. they don't understand it the way we do. But we also pass on our biases or our acceptance yeah. or whatever we have. Right. Well, that, that is the point, isn't it? That we tend to pass on our mm -hmm. own prejudices and stuff, Maria. Is, is that a difficulty? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. I mean, at the end of the day, um, we're all parents, I think, in this room. And um, 
children have um, and, and it, it, they, they grow in stages and different ages or areas of development as you just said there a few minutes ago um, I think we've been raised with you know when um, children are around adults you like walls of ears children um, yeah children adults are in the room and that's where we change our conversations. Mm. Why? Because we're we're mindful that children are at a certain age of development, and on top of that, as well, very yes. most children well, should be, be sexualised at a young age. But the difference now is they're sexualised from the tablet that is in front of them, and that's no, the they're sexualised. They're going to be sexualised next year because the NCC, yeah, because the NCCA um, are introducing it into primary school level. Right, but they're sexualised from what they're seeing online as well, Maria. You can't four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds. Yeah, they're all seeing screens. They're all looking at screens. Well, they're also sexualised from the programmes. I mean, you, you, yeah. you can tell I have grandchildren. Peppa Pig, if you actually analyse all oh, these... Oh, she looked Peppa was dreadful to her dad no, and no, mum. No, but if you analyse all these programmes, <laughs> yeah. there is a, a, an underlying thing An underlying on tone. You know, so we... You, you, and if you if you don't notice it, the kids don't notice it, you know, but we, everything is sexualised. Right. And I, I, you know, I think they're not allowed to be kids long enough. And well, that's true, yeah. yeah. All right, let me take they're a break. We'll be back uh, with uh, another topic and our panellists saying with us back in just a moment. It's 11.39 right now. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back. Our Friday panel, Lena Ryan, uh, Maria Raftus is with us and Liam Brown. I thought I was going to have to hose you all down there during... <laughs> During the break, it got got uh, absolutely um, well. There was a frank exchange of views, shall we say? Do you want to go to a, to that very briefly? Because there's a very Which much part, a divide on, on 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 the, on the panel. You, Which part? You, you think it's a, it's it's not a good thing that in schools the kids will be educated sexually. Uh, is, is, it's is just the NCAA next year are going to be introducing in primary schools and secondary schools. Well, in secondary schools for children age 11, 12, when they go into first year right up until third year, which is about 14, 15, mm. um, they have started a pilot programme in County Wicklow and it's all on the subject of pornography. Mm. Um, it's There's two sides to an argument there. Number one, it is not the state's responsibility in relation to, again, teaching children, mm. which they are minors under the age of 17. They don't, don't even have sexual consent. Um, it is not the state's responsibility to teach children in relation to um, aspects of pornography. A teacher is there in a capacity to teach them subjects, English, Irish, maths, history, geography, science, things like that. It is not their right. job to do all, that. All right. I'm just conscious of time, but I do want to get reaction on this. Stop shaking your head, Liam. It'll fall <laughs> off. I, I can't. I can't, uh. but I can't but shake my head as somebody who believes like it's very easy to say it's not the state's role to, to teach kids about sexuality, teach kids about this part of our curriculum, that part of our curriculum. And I know and you, you've said it already, Maria, it's not. But the point about it is, is an awful lot of kids won't be taught about this if it's not taught in it the school. Sorry, it's they won't be taught about it if it's if it's not taught in the school. They will be given the parents' own views on it and not 
potentially not um, well-researched views on it. I'm sure that nothing is going to be taught in school that hasn't been very well taught out of, that hasn't heard both sides of the argument. And, and the pornography aspect of what The pornography aspect. Yes, I mean, know. the reality is, is I, I've heard this off a couple of people. Oh, they're going to teach children about porn in school. Well, they, they are going to teach people about the dangers of porn in school. They're going to teach people about the idea... Highly sexualising children. Sorry, Maria, I, I didn't interrupt you. For, Sorry, I'm Just give us a second. Uh, yeah. You know, they didn't... They're going to teach people, teach young kids about pornography, about the dangers of pornography, about the dangers of allowing themselves to be possibly involved in the making of pornography. Don't share pictures, you know, with friends that they may end up on these pornography sites. They're going to explain to people that what happens in porn is not real. And that's apart from the joke right. that, you know, you'll never get a plumber that quick. Uh, and, and, and is it... I mean, what do you make of that counter-argument to this then, which is that, well, maybe they wouldn't know about this at all, only for it's going to be introduced to them in that's the exa- That is exactly the point I would be going on, on Fran. You know, we've gone through a state for 50 or 60 years which has had massive amounts of child sex abuse, which has a ma- massive amounts of all sorts of mental and physical abuse mm. of young children. And in my opinion, a lot of that was down to the fact that there was no education of these kids to tell them that it was yes. wrong, that these things were hidden, that you know, people in authority managed to abuse children by the lack of education. Right. Lena, can I just get your opinion on this before we move on to something well, yeah, else? I mean, we, I, we weren't educated when we were going to school, No, were we, we weren't, and that yeah. was for uh, lots of reasons. But yeah. I, I do think like the, the Department of Education isn't introducing any um, programmes that without yeah, conducting studies with folk groups that would be representative of the people of Ireland and they don't make unilateral decisions. This is obviously something that has been spoken about by parents, by everybody and they're taking it on board. So they're um, reflecting that is I what you're saying. I think reflecting on the, the requests of, the, yes. of, of families. Um, I, I do think that, uh, and the porn one I think is very important because young girls in particular mm. using social media thinking I'm friends with Liam I'm sending Liam mm. a photograph mm. and Liam decides hang hey, I can do what I like with it mm. uh, and then that causes a problem way down the line for a long time so I do think it's important that they're aware of it uh, but without making it too sexualised but the dangers of it Alright okay let me re- we could spend a whole programme on this and I'm sure we will mm. at some other uh, time a meeting to highlight concerns and fear among locals in uh, the general Clarehan uh, uh, area last night Rathrone and other areas like that it was held in Monroe. Um, residents really feeling that something needs to be done to tackle spiralling crime, intimidation as well, fear in the locality. Uh, Matthew McGrath spoke to me earlier on this morning. Uh, Dean McGrath uh, well spoke to me. He was there with Martin Brown last night. Um, can, I, can I start with you on, on this one, Maria? Um, mm-hmm. What about that? I mean, there are people in our communities now living in absolute fear and they, they feel that they're not being looked after because there's not enough guard resources and the like. What What's the story, do you think? Well, first of all, in relation to our Garda Shea I mean, it's um, nobody's afraid to um, call to account this present government in relation to their failed policies. Um, it is not any news that we have had Garda stations close time and time and time again around the country, which is starving a community of community policing. And that is a fact. Um, also as well with the high rise of rural crime um, and especially our senior citizens and the older community, um, it puts them in in a mm. sense of fear, you know. And we heard stories of multiple robberies in the same house over a period of but a week. But the trend seems to be, I mean, I know it sounds dreadful even saying the trend, um, they're more daring nowadays yes, now yeah, they are brazen, in France. Yeah, brazen. Yeah. And in broad daylight. And on top of that as well, when they're breaking and entering nowadays, they're not just breaking and entering and taking property. They're breaking and entering and nearly 
beating a senior citizen mm. or mm. somebody to an inch of their life, you know? Mm. So it is very real and it is very concrete to where we're Liam, what about doing something about this, though? And, I mean, you know, it, it, a huge turnout of that meeting. Absolutely, yeah. and I spoke to people this morning, a couple of people who were at the meeting. I spoke to my uncle last night. He was at the meeting. There is a huge amount of fear in that particular area in Clareham, but that's replicated right throughout the county. Um, But again, I've often come on here and said that there's no point talking about things. We all know that there's fear out there. What do we do about it? Um, First of all, we have to try and isolate the amount of people who are doing it. And I can guarantee you, it's not a huge amount. Of, it's not a huge amount of people. The Gardaí themselves are probably fairly aware of the most likely um, candidates for it. Although nowadays, you know, with, with oil robberies and stuff from from tanks and stuff, I think more people are involved than we think. But for the ones that are involved, um, first of all, we've got to put together a proper justice system, which not only punishes people after they've been caught, but I mean, if somebody is if somebody's arrested involved in in a burglary, for example. I don't think if they're put on bail, there's any reason why they shouldn't have to wear an electronic tag and be followed with an electronic right. tag. Well, what needs to happen? I mean, you, you know yourself over the years. I mean, Ross Gray stands up and all these fantastic yeah. local groups that yeah. grew out of uh, frustration in communities. And still, what has been done? Liam? Nothing, you see, because every time every time you come across some very good ideas, and I think we've got some fantastic technological ideas which could be employed now to make these things better. Like We can't put CCTV cameras in areas because people are afraid that they'll be seen on on camera and there's GDPR that's ridiculous you know I mean I passed up and down through the Dublin toll bridge three or four times last week and they took a photograph of my every single time time and every time I forgot to pay him I got it doubled I mean even I mean and we can laugh at that at GDPR but even if you put those in rural areas where you can take the 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 registration number of a car and then afterwards go back and, and meet the people who want that and registration. You know, I, I'm not sure it was a Dean or Matthew who told me this morning, but GDPR is an impediment to even using the the text, the community text properly as well because if they pass on that information it techni- to the Gardaí, it, it, technically it, it, it's it a technically, breach of It GDPR. technically is. You cannot pass on the information without giving the Gardaí the name of every single person on the list and having permission from them to give it on. But, like, let's be honest about it, I, I'm kind of fed up of hearing those those um, excuses mm. that we can't put these things into place. The vast, vast majority of people who um, know about these have no problem with them. Yes. I have no problem with my my face being seen on a CCTV camera yeah. if I'm doing nothing wrong. And I think 99% of people are the same right. way. So we need to have a bit of cop on. So is it zero tolerance or is that a much there, an overused Look, zero, zero, of zero tolerance is an overused term. It's, it's getting to the root of a problem, figuring out who's involved, going after them hard mm. in the first place to make sure that they're not involved in crime or making it very hard for them to be involved in crime. But you mm. take that you take that last night and you spoke about Ross Gray. Let's talk about Monroe. There was 320 to 350 people last night. Every one of those people, and I'm sure they said last night that they would need to keep an eye out for their neighbours. Mm. They need to keep an eye out for their friends mm. and make sure if anything in their area is out of place, mm. they can use the tech system. And that shouldn't be just in Monroe and Lisrona and Clare. But these people don't seem to care about any of that, Liam. They're, they're, they're openly intimidating people. Well, if, if, if somebody is openly intimidating, they've got to be dealt with and dealt with hard. Right. Mm-hmm. Lena, you, your rural background, Lena, I mean, what, what, what <laughs> yeah, do you through, think of through this? Through and through. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, never had anything nor any of my family, but I'm well aware of people that have. Uh, and I think it comes down to, I think, Liam, technology is wonderful, but I think we have all these... Uh, these wise people that know how to, how to bypass technology. We had huge meetings in Ross Gray and we had huge meetings in why not spend some money on actual community 
policing in the sense that three there was, I was you said there was 350 people at that meet there must be at least 20 or 30 people who could be trained in you know citizens arrest and given certain powers that in their communities because we don't mm-hmm. have the Garda and then as well as giving give it the, the responsibility for policing to the but community Lisa, who would go up against these guys to to arrest them I mean you know well uh, you would obviously need the support of the Gardaí to that, that but I'm thinking mm. I, that, that is one element I think mm. Fran I think there's a lot of other stuff that's going on <clears> that could be dealt with in this way but also if these um, these people see that there is a, the community is responsible and you go into Fran's house Lena and Liam are going to come along and the, we, we have a rotation you have a, 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 a visible presence mm, but then that it. visible presence has to be backed up by the mm. judicial Absolutely. system mm. yes. that if there is are that you know and that way I think it's taking policing, stop talking about technology and bring it back to people because, you know, when we were growing up if you, if you, you know, there was a great we used to have great fun knocking on people's door and running <laughs> but if that person knew you were after doing if you knew it, you reported to my mother and I got a clip oh around you yes. or you got a yeah. sanction yeah. sometimes there's no sanction and I'm not talking about simple things like yeah. that but yeah. we need to take it back to the community um, if that's possible and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that are willing to do this Absolutely. but mm. need the supports as I said, if you, if, if somebody arrested, then the judicial right. system has to back them up The as only well. thing that, that I'd fear here Marie, is that some of the people that we make contact with, for yes. example, were afraid to talk to us. It's sad when it's gone yes. like that. Look, at the end of the day, we could be sitting on joint pollution committees, we can sit on public participation networks, we can liaise with community all we want, no more different than we can keep continuing to march on the streets till the cows come home. What needs to happen is we need to robust legislation. We need massive amounts of change. Mm. Um, last year's budget, they announced 800 new members of On Garda Shear mm. that are going to be rolled out. So far, there's only been 24. Yeah. This year, they've announced 1,000. And, you know, again, 24. They speak from both sides of their mouth. We need robust legislation in relation to deal with um, delinquency for people under the age of 18. And as he... as um, Liam. Liam. <laughs> as Liam pointed out. Um, electronic tagging, yes, mm. for those under the age of 18. Proper monitoring and um, proper um, probationary services for those under the age of 18 because um, as he has, as Liam has uh, rightly pointed out, that it is actually only a small cohort of individuals and it's always the, us- the same usual suspects what Liam was saying. People have been sitting on joint policing committees for years. People have been participating in, in, in the networks for years and they've been filling out surveys and they've been going to loads of meetings after meetings after meetings after mm. meetings. I can say that because my brother sits on one of County West Mead mm. for 15 years. And the resounding theme time and time and time and time again is we need more police. Right. We need and, more And that really is the essence of it, That's I suppose. It. Uh, Liam. Policies, but why but is there not a, Would you explain to me, Liam, why there isn't a political appetite to deal with this? Because if, if a politician was seen to deal with this, um, they, they'd be much lauded in the community, wouldn't they? They would, but the problem is, is they'd, they'd be much lauded within their own local community, but they'd be ham- absolutely hammered by certain uh, groups. And let's be honest about it, you had a councillor last week in Galway who spoke about the travelling community and didn't feel the travelling community were uh, should be building in living in their area because they had problems with That's them. Right, yeah. And I, I mention the travelling community now because we all know who we're talking about when we talk about certain groups, but we're afraid to mention them, and I'm probably going to get hammered myself for mentioning them here. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest about it, let's have the discussion. I spoke to a person who was at that meeting last night who said that he had been intimidated by a group of travellers in a certain area of Clamell. He had asked Pavy Point to please come down on his behalf and speak to them and say, look, he didn't want to have the 
settled versus traveller argument mm-hmm. and Pavy Pine told him in no uncertain terms it's a, judici- it's a judicial justice matter go and speak to the police he said he went and spoke to the police and then he had them all over him for you know pointing fingers and, and being racist and being whatever see that's where the problem is yeah and like I said I, I thought about it should I say this but why not say it let's be honest about it it's it's not all the traveller community there's no doubt about it it's not there's many people in the settled community who are involved in crime as well but if we are going to pretend that there are per- people in certain communities not involved or afraid to say it or afraid to say it because it'll come back and there'll be blowback on us and I've no doubt there'll be blowback on both you and me for saying this, Fran. But we have to stop being afraid to and talk are about you these say, things. I know you weren't there last time, but was this stated last absolutely, night? Absolutely, absolutely was stated. But I will guarantee you it wasn't reported that it was stated. It, you, you won't say that that became part of the meeting because if you do, people will say, oh, you can't say that. I mean, like, the second the second we are in a conversation where we can say something, we're not in a conversation. Right. Well, of course, the difficulty there is you can say something if you're painting an entire community with with the which, one brush, which, which you, I am, you're not which doing. Which I am not. Okay. Absolutely not. But there is no doubt about it. We have had situations in this country where groups have been travelling down from Dublin and they have been arrested uh, mm. on the way back up to Dublin. And they have come from a certain community within Dublin. They weren't down looking at, mm. you know, a rural tip area at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Lena, do you want the last word on this? Oh, just, I would agree wholeheartedly that we, we need to have an open and frank conversation about, I think, legislation. There's loads of legislation on the on the books and it's not doing, it's bringing it down to working on the ground and communities working in conjunction with the, the people that are causing, and with the police to say, this isn't good enough, this isn't the way we want to go Um and, All right. and you know, take it, make it practical. All right, there make must, everyone responsible. There must leave it, uh, Maria, Lena, and Liam. Thank you very much indeed for being a super thank panel much, today. Man. Thank you so much indeed. Uh, that's uh, the uh, end of the program. Thanks to Emma who produced, and uh, Stephen is on the way with the time tunnel. And I'll talk to you on Monday. Look after yourselves in the meantime. Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on, you can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.